Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with the man himself, Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how you doing today? I am doing absolutely fantastic, dude. We got one more day to the weekend, and I am just, I'm not going to lie, I'm just feeling really relaxed. I had a, a rare, like, sort of quiet day at work, which, like, never, ever happens. I like It's probably been, like, a long time since I've only done a handful of things throughout the course of the day. So, dude, I'm feeling great. Got everything taken care of, pretty much just ready to sail into the weekend and get ready to have a nice, fun discussion on a topic we haven't talked about in a very, very long time. It has been a long time. Uh, we are... We are turning the page over from uh, from from our Fright Fest, which was fucking fantastic this year, per usual. I think it's like I said, like I said in the last episode, like it's continuously one of. I think it's it's. I think it's it is my most favorite continual thing that we do. Like we've had yeah. we've had other stuff that I've really like really really liked, but in terms of like this is coming up in the calendar, Fright Fest is probably my number one thing. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And dude, I got to tell you, like this year has been my most podcast listening to year that I've that I've ever had. I've just kind of turned my back on ninety two point three for a while for reasons of my own, not to get into right now. It'll take forever, but out of all the podcast listening that I have done, I will say that like um, I've listened to episodes done by other people, topics that we're going to cover, just to kind of you know do some additional research. You and I do a much thorough job than some of the more popular podcasts that are on Apple right now. So I got to give ourselves a pat on the back because there have been a couple that I've listened to where the discussion is just like it feels lost. It just feels like people like rambling on without any kind of structure whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I read this one. I listened to this one podcast where. They literally just like scrolled through the Wikipedia article about um, the movie that they were covering and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I got to say that um, for the job that that we do, um, I think that there are times where we do a much thorough uh, job than than a significant amount of the podcast that I've listened to um, about the same stuff that we talk about. I 100% agree with that assessment. And that's and that's sort of how not like. I'm not like listening to other podcasts as you know, like for like lessons and like what to do or not to do necessarily. But I, right. I, it does sort of, it sort of trickle into the back of my mind. And I'm like, you know, we could cover like, let's just say like, um, uh, like I actually read an article that someone had, uh, someone recently uh, watched The Fly, um, mm -hmm. the, the Cronenberg Fly. Uh, so the same movie that yeah. we just watched, and like the, like the. the you know, I mean, it, it was like a decent, like in-depth review, but it was just like an in-depth of like what happened. It wasn't mm -hmm. like an in-depth review of like what does what does the fly represent? You know, what does Brundle represent? What are right. what does this represent? Right. Well, what are the what are the things like beneath the surface? None of that was there, and I'm like, how can you talk about a movie that David Cronenberg made without getting into those topics? Like, yeah. <laughs> David Cronenberg isn't making movies just because he likes to see people like fall to pieces. There's mm -hmm. a reason why the people are falling to pieces. There's a reason right. behind everything. And it just sort of, like, I've even read other articles, like, when, you know, because, like, the, the movie the movie podcast has become, like, I mean, it's always been around, but, like, it's become much bigger recently, right? Like, it's, like, if you go to entertainment podcasts, movie, movie podcasts are slowly creeping higher and higher up the lists of, like, the most listened to. And right. There's always this like incredulous sort of tone to the if you read an article about like you know about some about like um how did this get made or blank check 
like the author of the article is always like, and they talk about the movie for longer than the movie. Can you even believe that? And I'm I'm kind of like, so when you talk about a movie, what do you go? What do you say to your friend? It was really good. I liked it. Okay, well that's it. Um, let's move on to the next movie. Like, yeah. there's a ton of shit to talk about. That the especially like these really excellent these excellent movies. There's a lot of shit to talk about. How can you not sit down for ninety minutes or two hours and talk about it? Right, dude. Blank check and with Griffith and David does one of the better movie podcasts that are out there. Like it's one of the it's one of the few where a two and a half hour plus conversation seems to go by very very quickly. And like, how did this get made? Like, I, how where the hell did Paul Shear like get all this like knowledge from? Like, you just mm-hmm. I did not expect him to be as good of a podcast host, considering a lot of. The characters he plays are kind of one note. It's kind of the same thing over and yeah. over again. You, yeah. just, you don't associate that character like Andre in the league with having a vast knowledge of anything. Mm-hmm. So like those those two specifically, I actually I think that are, are very, very good. And like there are like there are podcasts that I've heard where it's like the four dudes sitting around like talking. Um, it's just like, my God, like I just know there are way too many voices here that are doing absolutely nothing. And then there are podcasts where um these people like go on tour. Like you could literally buy tickets to their shows that they have upcoming this year. And I'm just like, I just, I just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like just, I, I found the conversation to be rather like predictable and yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, I think that's what, like, I know what I'm, I, you know, like I know what I'm looking for in a podcast and don't worry folks, we will get to sports here eventually. Um, right. I, <laughs> I know what I'm looking for in a podcast and like, that's why I, I just, I don't get into like the, the sort of this American life, Mark Marin. I just, I don't care about those. Like I, yeah. Like there's some, you know, there's some definitely some like, like I've listened to the Obama, uh, Mark Marin podcast, like that episode when he went to go visit, um, and, and stopped in. But like, that's like the only thing that's going to make me listen to Mark Marin. And it's right. Nothing particularly against him. It's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to hear anything from these celebrities that I haven't heard before. Or some of these other voices right. that I haven't heard before. So I'd rather get into film criticism or music criticism. Like, that's more entertaining to me. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And in the interest of not going on with the 50 million examples to prevent us from getting into sports, just know that I totally agree with you. And I don't listen to a lot of that stuff for the exact same reason. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's get into sports here. Uh, we are kicking off sports in November. Uh, with uh, a, 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 a format that we normally kick off the seasons with, um, five good topics. We obviously didn't get around to it this year because we, you know, we had a we had a whole um, format going for this entire season. In fact, we really haven't done sports at all this year, have we? Other than have we done a quick episode? We have not. There's I don't even think the maybe the did the minisodes have like the call in thing? I think that might have been the only time that we've done one was during the, in March, but. It's been a very, it's been eight months. Like, yeah, there hasn't yes. been any sports episodes in between. So exactly. the amount of sports that we've done this year, very minimal compared to previous years. Yep. So this, so we're going to get a whole month to, to make up for it. Um, so we're going to kick it off with, um, with five good sports topics. And normally we do five good topics. Um, we just, well, we just have five good topics. Um, we, uh, we have a, we have two one minute topics. So just kind of quick hitters, um, nothing super deep. 
And then we get then we jump into our two two minute topics uh, piece again a little getting a little bit deeper there you know something uh, that requires a little more thought and then we each have a five minute topic something that um, something that's gonna you know we're gonna have to go on about um, and, and will require a little bit more a little more thought and a little more um, critiquing from from both of our ends when we do get to our five minute topics um, but obviously that's normally how we do it and obviously these are all gonna be sports topics this time around. Um, and we're also going to have a couple of quick thoughts in here too. Um, there's some stuff that like, I just think you, we can get over, we can get into real quickly. that don't even require, um, you know, a minute. So we'll, we'll get into some of those as well, but I do want to start off with the lightning round question first, Chama. This is apropos of nothing. I'm just very curious, um, of real, of the real sports and I'm not talking like bowling or ping pong, um, pickleball, like with all due respect, those are hobbies. Um, and like, I know ping pong, ping pong can be intense, but it's a fucking hobby. Um, <laughs> so the real sports with like professional leagues, which one do you think would be the easiest to step off the street and step off the street and just like play on a, at a professional level? And I, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you everyone I write at the front. It's none of them. Like we couldn't just do this, but which one do you perceive as being the easiest? Okay, dude, like, I gotta say football, and um, I'm going to explain my reasons against basketball and baseball first. There's definitely so much skill involved in baseball that, no, you're just not coming in off the street and doing it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's things that require repetition. There's specificity in, in baseball that, like, you just, like, really do not have with the other sports. I mean, you're literally hitting a ball that's no more than a couple inches with a bat that's no more than a couple inches distances that like I can't even throw. I mean, like it, those are super like multiple hundred feet here to hit a home run. So I don't think it's baseball. Basketball, I think is too anaerobic or is it anaerobic where you, you just keep going or whatever? Like aerobic. I, I might be aerobic. Thank you. It might be. Yeah. Anaerobic is football. That's right. <laughs> so um, it's too continuous of a sport. It involves you like having to put a ball into a hole. That's another skill set. I mean, you can do it easily from two feet away, but once you get outside of two feet, that becomes more complicated people in your face. I just don't see basketball being something that anybody could just come in off the street and do, but football, Hey man, off the street, your one job, go hit that guy. Or hey, you're going to be the wedge breaker. Run down the field and just break a fucking wedge. Uh, there are I no feel... wedges anymore. That is illegal. Oh, they're right. Yes, that's right. There are. That's right. Yes, you bet. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, Chubby, you're in... out of a you're out of a job. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, um, so like with football, you could just give in a guy like you're going to stay on this guy. Just go in there and try to hit the quarterback. Some of the positions on football don't require as much skill as some of the other positions, which is why they have a whole section called skill positions in mm -hmm. football. So I feel that um, one of the more um, straight up kind of positions like being on the line or being maybe even a linebacker on defense might be a little bit easier to adjust to and perform than hitting a, a hitting a bat or hitting a baseball with a bat or playing a game of basketball. So I'm going to say football is the easiest one. Yeah, I got you. I got you. That's, that's a really interesting thought. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll start off with the things that I 100% I agree with. Baseball, I would actually, hockey probably being the hardest. Because like, if you don't know how to skate, like, you're, already yeah, fucking, it's yeah. already, you're already cooked there. And even if you do right. know how to skate a little bit, like can you skate, handle a puck, 
and like move around people at full speed. Like it's it's extraordinarily skillful. Baseball, like even if you were just to like even if they just put you in on like the outfield of defense for an inning, um, you would you would be like absolutely flabbergasted at how fast the ball gets out to you, and like right in center field and like how how hard the ball hooks and sinks and dives and curves even off the bat, mm-hmm. like even from like 300 feet away, how much it actually moves. Like it, so you even, even, even like the least sort of dangerous part of baseball would still be extraordinarily, and you know, good luck running full speed, <laughs> keeping your eye on a little ball, you know, like right. timing it all out. It's much harder than it looks. Um, and then, you know, that's not even hitting is I like, it's funny because like, obviously like if, if some like hard throwing pitcher were up there, like, he could just blow 100 mile an hour fastballs by me, but I don't even think you'd need to do that. Just throw curveballs to like any person who's never played baseball before, and I guarantee you they'll never. You could throw a thousand in a row; they'll miss all 1,000 of them. Guarantee it. Oh, the way that the ball drops and the curvature yep. and everything—those are just those are things that just normal people aren't going to account for. Nope. A straight a straight fastball, like I feel that like. If a guy takes a hundred swings, he might get a couple of those, not necessarily knock it out of the park, but at least hit a couple of hits, a curveball, not, not a chance. Not chance. They're just things that you cannot, you cannot prepare for when in terms of the curveball. Now, here's the thing though. Um, I actually think it's basketball because okay. I don't need to, you don't need to be, you don't need to come off the street and be physically strong to play basketball. Um, and not only that, you don't even need to actually shoot. Ask Draymond Green. Ask Ben Simmons. They don't fucking shoot. <laughs> and they've been playing basketball for quite a long time. Um, it's There are other things I feel like I could walk in off the street and do that wouldn't necessarily require shooting. But also at the same time, if you were to leave me wide open, I've been shooting basketball my whole life. I could make one. I could make a shot from mm-hmm. 15 to 20 feet away. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think – I mean, you know – would I necessarily probably not? I'd probably shit my pants first and then, like, <laughs> over the shock of, like, being on the calves or something. But I feel like I could do something like set a screen, get myself open enough to take a shot from, like, 20 feet away. Like, I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. that that would necessarily – that doesn't, like, require me to be six foot eight necessarily. Um, in fact, like, there are people who are not that tall that play basketball. So, but I, I do feel like stepping onto the football field as big and strong as I am, there are at least – I don't know, at any given time, eight people on the field, uh, on, on, on one side at least, that are bigger and stronger and faster and know exactly how to play football in a much more violent way than I do. And it would be very, very apparent if, if, if I was inserted at middle linebacker or something. Where do you think that ball is coming next? Oh, to you. <laughs> and there is right no possible alley. way that I am stopping an NFL running back being led by like a, an NFL guard and center. That is not happening. But again, I, I feel like if something like basketball, I can get put myself in between an NBA guard and keep him from getting to the guy I'm sitting a pick for. So I feel like I feel like basketball would be the easiest to just for, you know, for a quick for a quick five to ten minutes on the, on the court. I could do that. Oh, dude, 
a guy your size and what you lift and everything, there's probably multiple NBA players that you could throw around. And even people that probably are six foot eight, you could probably, you know, get a body on and like um, neutralize in terms yeah. of places on the court and stuff. I can totally understand what you're saying. I mean, guys like Ben Wallace are NBA champions. And like that guy is not necessarily known for being the most offensive minded nope. player and nope. stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, if you come out on the court like that, that's, that is completely believable. And, the one good thing about basketball is like, you know, you said it yourself, you've been shooting it in, you've been shooting basketballs your entire life. So if you do get open, you at least probably have at least like a, a 50, 50 shot of putting it in. I mean, that's better. That's some pretty good odds. I, I, I like my odds. I like my odds. Like it's, even if like a defender was kind of closing on me, I like my odds of making a shot, even like a three pointer. I like my odds of making a three pointer better than hitting mm-hmm. a baseball, <laughs> like a lot yeah. better. Oh yeah, that's why I was god awful. I, I I had had that problem my entire life. I was able to make baskets, but not uh, hit the ball in mm-hmm. baseball. So I was the first base right field all star for most of my life. You know, <laughs> I would yeah. So I, I mean, obviously the, the correct answer is none of these sports. Like I, I like even like something. I was thinking about like, even tennis possibly. Like I could you know I could just get a racket essentially in front of a ball. But like mm-hmm. the top men's pe- tennis players are serving like 120 mile an hour serves. Like it's, right. it's entirely possible. I would almost like not even see the ball before I even like thought about like moving my hand. <laughs> oh, that's a good, yeah. You're, you're just getting set and you're already down um, with 15 love or whatever. You right, know what right. I'm saying? Those, that's a whole other, that is like a whole other thing right there. You know, some of these like individual sports and stuff, especially like tennis, like, whew, man, that's something that uh, I would I would have had to have started thirty years ago to oh, have yeah. any ch- chance at even having a shot? You know, yeah, like, absolutely. Man, it doesn't. There are times where tennis like looks fun, and like um, Je- Jess and I were talking. There's buildings behind us, and it's tennis courts. Like, hey, we moved there. Maybe we should like start playing each other and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess that that could be fun. I guess, but we're gonna be god awful at it. <laughs> like, it's gonna be it's gonna look like a bunch of like two five year olds out there trying to play a sport. Right, right. That's I think that's like. I, so I don't golf. Um, Want to just like it's I don't know it's, it's boring to me regardless of of anything else. It, but I'm also like not I'm not particularly good at it. And it's like one of those things. Like why do I want to spend money and this much time and effort on something that I'm bad at? Yeah. And like I know exactly and, what you mean. And what's the point of getting better at it? It's like right. no one's going to give me an, a money or award or anything. Yeah, I know, dude. I had a similar kind of like an actual like epiphany with golf, like not that long ago where it's just too much time. It really is. And like the whole idea of like, you know, Hey, you can be outside and drink beers and stuff. Well, it's like, Hey, guess what has a patio pretty much every other bar in Cleveland. So (laughs) if that's, if that's what I'm looking for, I could just do that at a bar and stuff. And like, I almost, I, I kind of feel that like in terms of like the, have beers and play sports kind of world that exists. I pretty much tap out at volleyball. Like I, I, that that might be the only sport I enjoy having a couple beers and playing golf is way too boring. And then the other thing that you make a great point on is the time it takes way too fucking long to play golf. And like when I was playing, when I was playing basketball, like on Sunday mornings, the, maybe one and a half hours or so that we would all play basketball because we had like kind of like a gym time thing going on. Mm -hmm. That was way more athletically rewarding than playing golf ever could have been. So like, as far as time goes, like if I'm setting, if I'm going to do something, 
that like is exercise. Like I would rather just like work out or play a regular sport of some kind than devote three and a half hours plus to the golf course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we're going to do, if we're going to do beer sports, wiffle ball, cornhole. Yeah. Right. Those are much more fun to, to drink and participate in than fucking golf, but whatever. Yeah. Any day of the week. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's get into it. Let's start up five good sports topics. But before we get into the, into our topics, just, a couple of quick thoughts here. Any anything that you you just you know, just worth mentioning here, or you know maybe it could be just a, a quick thought, a question, something like that. Okay, so to start off with very very first one would be fuck Dan Snyder, and I really hope to God that he sells the Washington Commanders. I am reading more and more about this investigation and all this kind of shit that's going on with him. And I, I just don't really have a – I'm not, like, super knowledgeable as to what the hell's going on. But um, as far as a quick sort of unfinished thought goes, if these are wheels that he – what he has done to put Bank of America in charge of, like, looking into securities, like, into transactions, if this is the first step to selling the team, I am all for it and I'm very happy about it. Yeah, Dan, Dan Snyder is a, an awful piece of shit. Um, and it, it goes back – it goes back a long, long time with – I mean, yeah. obviously, like the workplace culture stuff is was around forever. Um, the this new like the, the new fraud and like securities investigations are more recent. But like there was um, there was a Washington there was a D.C. area sports journalist who just like mm-hmm. kept a running Dave McMenamin, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, I know that. I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He kept like this running this running sort of like yearly. I think it, I think it was just called Dan Snyder is the Devil. And it was a picture. It was like a, it was just an article that he had, like a weekly article that has been, literally been running since Dan Sayer took over the team. So like 2005 or something like that. I want to say mm-hmm. it could be from before then, but um, and just like detailing all of the all of the stuff that we've heard about now more recently, but like also like the on the field, like the the operational stuff. I should say with the with the with the then Redskins now Commanders. And how, like, it seemingly was like Dan Snyder made decisions just to piss people off. Like, yeah, their their training camp, much like the Browns training camp, used to be free. And, you you know, right. you could show up. Like, I think you still had to, like, um, depending on, like, the year like the, or, like, the location or whatever, sometimes you still had to, like, essentially make, like, a reservation. Or, like, yeah. otherwise, like, they can't, you know, they couldn't pack everybody into, like, the training area. So, like, if you got there too late. You, you couldn't get in, you couldn't get in. Big deal, whatever. Um, so Dan Snyder started charging for that. Started charging for the parking to go to go to, to, to see training camp. Started charging, like, all, like, things that just were, like, just blatant fuck yous that, you know, were originally kind of just, like, nice things that the, you know, that you could, that if you're a Redskins fan, you could enjoy. Just started cutting those off and then figuring out ways to, to like, make a buck off of them. And I, how much money can you possibly make off of training camp? I can't imagine that's much, but like just all these like weird, not weird, very seemingly calculated decisions that Dan Snyder has mm-hmm. been making for years, just that seem to be only to piss people off. Yeah, definitely. My one buddy that I work with um, is from the DC area. He's born in Baltimore, but he was rooting for DC sports his entire life. And he has been waiting for Snyder to go for like the longest time. And he's been telling me about all this stuff, just like in the area about how people in general just feel like, so like, 
I, I guess like just so agitated and there's all this frustration with this guy because he is a continuous just like embarrassment and everything. And mm-hmm. I mean, what you're saying right there is just like little stupid petty things that you have no reason to be doing whatsoever and stuff. Just the thought of like the fact that we have to pay for like preseason games is insulting, but like paying for training camp is like Ridiculous. twice as insulting. You know what I'm saying? And like even like his stupid stunt where he's like on a, he's on a yacht and everything like that. And he's like not even in the country and stuff. It's just all these stupid things that like somebody would do just to be an asshole, you know, things that are going to look bad, things that are going to have bad publicity, but he's just going to keep fucking doing it anyway. And this little step that he, that they have done is hopefully the first step in him no longer owning the, um, the franchise. And mm-hmm. like, I heard, I heard, um, so like a couple weeks throughout the last couple weeks, there's been, Oh, Dan Snyder's got all these dirt on the NFL owners. And then, Oh, NFL owners yeah. have like dirt on him and stuff. And like, I kind of want to know what some of the dirt is. And like, if he's going to make moves that piss people off, maybe he makes a couple moves that exposes some of these owners. Now, I highly doubt it because all these people stick together, but I would, I would kind of enjoy maybe seeing one or two other owners go down with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would too. Uh, I like anytime this billionaire boys club gets like fucked up a little bit. I'm totally, totally into it. Um, hopefully it'd be Jimmy Haslam. I mean, that'd be great. Um, Oh yeah. But, um, like that's see that's the problem. I think Dan Snyder is now sitting far enough on the outside of like the because at one point in time he was sort of like an inner circle type of owner, you know, like a Jerry Jones, the Maras, um, Rooney. He was kind of an inner circle type of owner because of the status of the at the time. Again, the Redskins. They've only been commit the Commanders for the season so far. So at that point in time, they're the Redskins. Um, so like the you know, owning that owning that franchise at that time was like a big deal. And it just sort of like every year he has sort of devalued what that franchise was once upon a time worth. And it's still gonna mm-hmm. be if, if it does get sold, it's still gonna be sold for a shit ton of money. But he took the he took that franchise in himself from like one of the inner circle owners to clearly on the outside. And when you're on the outside of Jerry Jones and um and the Maras and the Roonies and um Oh, who's the motherfucker that owns the uh, that owns the Chargers? Spanos. Family? Oh, the Morenos. Oh no, the Morenos own the Angels. Sorry yeah. about that. You're probably right on I think that. The yeah. Spanos family, like those are like sort of the the um, those are like the the inner circle type of owners. And once you're like on the outside of them, no one cares anymore. <laughs> it's it's amazing how even that billionaires boys club is still just a fucking high school with old men. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. Fuck Dan Snyder. Um. So. This is just sort of, I've mentioned it, but this is just, I've never mentioned this before, but this is just sort of like a really stark example of like the weirdness of like when money drives sports coverage. And like, we all know that. Like if if ESPN is vested in something, they're going to cover that sport that they're invested in, right? And I've, I've mentioned it before that like on SportsCenter Snapchat is like the most interesting example of this. So last Friday when I was going through their, you know, SportsCenter's Snap Story, you know, show, um, mm-hmm. before before we got to World Series Game 1 highlights, which, mind you, was an incredible game, had a five-run comeback, extra innings, some great defensive plays, home runs. It was, it was an awesome game. Yeah. Before we got to that game, we had three meaningless NBA games get highlighted 
And each one of those highlights of those NBA games took up more time than the World Series highlights. And <laughs> we're, again, we're talking, this is opening week of the NBA. These games mean absolutely nothing. And they, they're getting, because, you know, obviously the M, the NBA is, you know, vested very deeply with ESPN. They're going to get coverage first before, you know, before, the, before the, a fucking World Series game. And that's one of those things that's just very funny, like how stark that is on, on this particular platform. Oh God, with ESPN and stuff like that, because we have the um, we have the app and everything that's out here. Mm-hmm. They're all in on like the shit that they cover and stuff like that. I mean, like you almost like I rarely even see like um, or I feel like certain other conferences like in college football are just like kind of buried in the rubble of everything yep. else. And for them to highlight NBA in the way that they have compared to the world series just seems like a total fucking ESPN move. And this goes back. I think you were making a comment um, maybe last year or so about the, maybe even during the, the 2020 and the quarantine and stuff like the NBA and Disney and everything like that and how they were, like interjecting all this like Marvel shit into the NBA and stuff like yes. all these kind of th- 3d images, all this kind of stuff, whatever it was CGI. Mm-hmm. And like that, it, it almost kind of feels like another kind of like somewhat version of that and everything. And go figure that, you know, the opening of the NBA would get more coverage than like, yeah, what was actually like a pretty decent world series game. And this there's this world series is, one that I feel has got a little bit of heat on it and stuff like that, just with the Astros and everything, you know, making their first world. I think this would have been the first world series appearance since the scandal, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, no, they, um, um, they were in that, in that last year. That's right. Yeah. So like just having this hated franchise and just the whole cheating thing and stuff. And then also just even Philadelphia being such a crazy, avid, loyal fan base that Philadelphia fans are, I would maybe think that that would be more of like a headlining story. And also considering that it's like the world series, the biggest thing in all baseball, like, Hey, ESPN, ESPN, all that baseball that you've been showing that I've been picking up on Hulu and stuff like that. It's, it's all been leading up to this moment. You mm-hmm. think you'd want to show it because they yeah. still, they, sh- they show baseball games on ESPN, but um, it's even the way that they market Baseball and ESPN, I still feel that basketball is marketed a little bit more. Oh yeah, because they because they have a, they get a lot of games. You know, ABC gets a lot of games. Um, so like it's it's not it's not shocking. I just I bring this up because like Sports Center Snapchat is like much is even even more stark than regular Sports Center. Obviously, like the World Series stuff let off Sports Center. Like that's the whatever the big huge event is in the sports world will always kind of lead off sports center but like you know but the the stuff that they are paying a lot of money for and the stuff that like is getting the most is getting the most feedback is going to lead on sports center snapchat obviously they get they get more they get more rapid analytics from that than they do from like the regular show i just i just it was one of those things just so funny like how how obvious it is and it you know and it's like you said, you are, you just mentioned like how um, it you don't really notice it at first, but like boy, don't you see a lot of SEC highlights when you watch ESPN? <laughs> right. Like, seemingly, how many Pac-12 highlights do you see? How many how many ACC highlights do you see? Not as much. Yeah, n- not as much at all. Like even like even there has been a couple Pac-12 games that have been on ESPN. 
And even those, like, it's just, you rarely see anything about those. Like, even advertising through Instagram and stuff like that, it's just, you you don't see that kind of attention from ESPN on, like, the, the, the Pac-12 in terms of advertising their games and stuff. Nope, nope, absolutely not. But, I mean, a, a crappy Auburn team fires their coach, and that's, like, um, that's like leading the fucking <laughs> college football section of ESPN. Yeah, dude. I'd, oh my God. Yeah, that whole thing. You would have thought. Um, you would have thought Saban had gotten fired right. the way that they they covered Auburn and stuff. And right. if I'm if I'm going to take it one step further here, I got some real problems with the way Sports Center runs their Instagram and social media feeds in general. Like, I'm kind of over watching videos of a kid swing a at a t-ball bat and he's got a really good swing yeah and we're just that's the ball goes five feet but the swing looks kind of cool or like um i don't know like i'm at a little bit of a like kind of a conflict with the next category i'm about to say because there are some times when somebody does something that's just i don't know whatever it might be whether it's throwing cards into a Sega Dreamcast or doing stupid things like that. There are some times where I kind of like find it entertaining, but then there are some times where I'm like, how and why is this on sports center? You know, like I, 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 I don't quite understand how this dude throwing quarters into a two liter bottle or so, whatever it might be ends up on sports center. And those are some of the things that, um, I feel that they could do without, but they just they just keep seem to reinforcing it. You know what I'm saying? Or like f- celebration videos where it's just like, hey, wait to the end, and three people scream. Like, yeah, great, all right. Now mm-hmm. can I go on to the next thing, please? Yeah. Oh, and yes, 100. Is, th- is this your next topic, by the way? Your next quick thought? Uh, n- no, I was just picking up on oh, yours. Really okay, quick. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it's it, it is a I don't know. Like I, I understand it's it's social media. Their social media outlets should not be the same as like the flagship TV shows and stuff, but like, it's just, it's just bizarre. Like it's more of the, it, it really is more of the same stuff that though you yeah. but just in a, in a different, you're just getting served a different way basically. But anyway, right. Oh, coach caught dancing time to turn it into a video and put it on social media. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what's, what is your next quick thought though? Okay. So my next quick thought, um, this is one that, um, I didn't bring up into my, to my topics or whatever. I didn't know how much um, familiarity you had with, with that, what I'm about to discuss, but Pac-12 officiating in football this year has been absolutely fucking atrocious. And like, there have been a couple examples, partic- particularly with USC, that have really like set some media people off and stuff. And there's this guy named Dean Blandino, who's like the um, what would be Fox college football coverages like guy in New York, the guy that they go like, you know, Hey, yeah, let's he, go was, to Dean. we... he was former, formerly like the head of officiating in the NFL. Um, and he's like Fox's NFL and college football go to. Yeah. 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 And dude, like when this guy is like raising his voice, like this should not be done. What the hell are these people doing? Like, you know, that something is definitely up here. And like, there have been when when USC played Utah, there were like two controversial roughing the passer calls that were made. And like one was just like a guy like pushed him and Cam Rising like fell on the ground and stuff like that. And like it ended up being a, a penalty that resulted in like a Utah score. And then even last week when they were playing Arizona, the um Caleb Williams threw a pass um, that resulted in positive yardage and they got the ball down by the um, 
down by like the, the goal line. You're probably looking at like the seven, eight yard line. And the referees just, just like, they don't let the clock, like you get a first down and then like there's a certain period of time and then the, the clock starts back up again in college football. They clearly just like restarted the clock early. And then um, in, before, and then even before starting the clock early, they moved the ball like from a previous spot that they had. And then um, USC snapped the ball and like it was just one of the most confusing plays you will ever watch. Like none of the players had like any fucking idea like what to do in that situation. And I think like they were under the impression that they had the ability to throw a quick play and then call a timeout. But because they had started this clock, it kind of just got them in this position where they only have to, they just have to like run a quick play really quick just to maximize whatever score they were going to get or try to score a touchdown. And um, it has been a topic of conversation on podcasts that I've listened to about the PAC 12. It's even been a topic of conversation on podcasts that aren't about the PAC 12. Like it kind of just makes its way into regular discussion about college football. So if the college football, uh, if the PAC 12 officiating is trying to screw USC and UCLA for going to the big 10, they, um, they've shown a couple examples of it because there have been some real, questionable officiating in the Pac-12 this um this past season gotcha um yeah I, I mean here two things college officials suck um yeah. that's number one like they're not that it's like a minor league system but there's a reason why they're not officiating NFL games yeah because they yeah. won't make the cut um and honestly that's like all college sports you should see some of the like you should see some of the college sports, like the umpiring and like women's softball and, and men's baseball is atrocious. It's really, really fucking bad um, because yeah. they're just not good enough to, you know, to be in like in a professional, in a, you know, maybe they, maybe they, they also call like double A games, but they're not going to get anywhere near like a, a major league baseball field, basically. Um, yeah, I gotcha. So that, that's one. Um, two, the, the, here's the problem. USC is not back yet. So there is no right. reason to assign the best squad to any of their games. So if they're right. playing Utah, they're not going to get the best the best Pac-12 squad. If they're playing Arizona, absolutely not. Don't even fucking send anyone. Just let people in the stands officiate the game. Who the fuck cares? So until right. USC is actually meaningfully, meaningfully back, they're never going to get the top squads anyway. So you're going to get bullshit like that. Like... I, like I believe me, like watching enough Mac football over the years, mm-hmm. the the officials suck. <laughs> They're just not fucking yeah. <laughs> right. Because like, who cares? Who cares who who cares what's going on between Ball State and Akron? Nobody. Yeah, right. No. Exactly, dude. And like I'm telling you, man. Like one of the things that really bugs me about sporting events in general is when it is a super like penalized game. Like it doesn't matter if it's football or basketball, any game where there is a shit ton of penalties and we have Mm -hmm. to stop the clock. And like, I don't even care if the penalties are going for the team that I'm rooting for. It is still annoying as hell to watch. And like this, um, out of the two roughing the, the passer calls in the USC Utah game, one of them um, like on the next drive, like this, basically as soon as this whole like play, this um, call was made, the next Utah drive must have taken like, it must have taken like 15, 20 minutes. There was a penalty on like every fucking play. Like it just became so unbearable to watch. And like, I like, 
I can like, dude, there are times where like I see stuff and I'm like, okay, yeah, that is like a legit, like, yes, you should have a flag called on that. And, but when you're, when you're no joke running between five and 10 plays and they're all penalties, like just something is wrong here. Like, this is just a really fucking bad way to like have a product of football on television. It's just so annoying. Yeah. Yep. Penalty. You know, like obviously penalties call them and they need to be called, but just sometimes, you know what, you know, it really shows up for, I mean, obviously in football because the whole game stops, but boy, does it really ruin the rhythm of a basketball game when there's, when the, the referees are real touchy about, hand fouls um what constitutes a block or a charge and like it just the game just grinds to a halt you can and even even that like you can tell like the players get don't have a rhythm and the mm-hmm. game itself looks stilted and weird and that's why you end up with like an nba game that like ends at like 88 91 yeah yeah no that's yeah definitely dude like there was a time when um jess and i went to a bar to watch like the Cavs play the warriors and this would have been either game three or game four of the 2017 finals like the the last one where durant durant was in the warriors and like uh second to last one because he got hurt um uh in 2018 or whatever so like we're in the bar watching this game and like these calves are the calls are going for the calves and like the calves are like blowing the warriors out at, at this point in time in the game. And it is like unenjoyable to watch because any time, like it was pretty much every other time the warriors had the ball, there was a penalty called and one out of every three times the calves had the ball, a penalty was called. And like, I am just like, how is this enjoyable? Like how are people like in Cleveland, like just like, Oh my God, we're going to come back and like beat the warriors and stuff. I was actually mad because it meant that I had to watch another game where the calves were probably going to lose. And of course the next game they lost and they lost the fucking championship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It's, I don't know. It just sucks. It's, it's the one it's the one thing that like can ruin it, bad bad officiating can ruin the game experience even for people who end up benefiting from it. Yeah, ex- exactly, dude. It's, a, it's totally a hundred percent right on that. All right, let's get into the uh, those. I guess those turned all turned into like two minute topics, but whatever, no big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, let's get into. Oh no, actually, I'm sorry. I just have one more quick one here. I, I apologize. Just real. This is literally like a real quick one. I am just super pleased that the guardians defied expectations this year. I mean, obviously like it, it's, it's great that they, 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 they did so well, but like it at the beginning of the season, it just didn't seem there was talk about Jose Ramirez potentially being traded if they didn't get a deal done. Um, but they got a deal done. They locked up Emmanuel Classe for like another five years. They jettisoned all of the wrong players, like the Fran Mill Reyes is um, some of the other relief pitchers. Like they got, they got rid of a lot of players. Not that they were dead weight, but like, they got rid of the of the players that were clearly not right for the team, and they found players that were right for the team. And I'm really extra happy that the front office and the coaching staff, because this drives me fucking nuts when teams do this. Instead of like, instead of you know the, the you know every team has their own philosophy, but like the philosophy changed because of the players that we had. You know, like you can't like this. The Guardians can't. They have a couple of guys that can hit home runs for sure, but like they're not a home run hitting team. So playing that style of baseball just doesn't make sense. So the coaching staff in the front office is like, fine, we're going to play it like it's 1981 again. And you're going to hit the shit out of the ball, put it in play and run around like fucking maniacs and play defense. And it was really like, I was just very pleased to see that they, they tailored a team and coached a team 
around the talent versus trying to fit the talent into a system that they don't that they don't necessarily fit into. So like everything about this Guardian season worked, you know, still bummed out that uh, the Yankees in Major League Baseball were colluding and called off a game for no fucking reason. Um, right. That definitely that definitely hurt the, that definitely hurt the Guardians and helped the Yankees, but but like just it it was just like they set a tone when they got when they got Jose Ramirez signed and seemingly other than like for a couple of weeks towards the beginning of the season seemingly every move they made was the right move and it was just a really great summer. Yeah, dude, I will tell you that I am very very happy that the Guardians have done what they did, did what they did this year with. All of the fucking shit with the name change, all that distraction conversations, then you're talking about, like, you're right, all these deadweight players and stuff. And in the beginning, it didn't really seem like the Guardians were going to do all that much. And so you're right, somewhere in, the, somewhere in this process, they're like, yeah, let's do it up, play it like it's 1991, and turn the season into something very, very special. And there is a lot of reasons for people in the city of Cleveland or Guardians fans out there throughout the, the world to be excited about the future of Guardians baseball and like hope to God that um, the Dolans continue to like hopefully pay people and don't let any like key pieces of the puzzle like slip through their fingers and go to another team and just keep these young guys together, let them continue to develop. And this could be a really, really great product that gets out on the field in the future. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. I agree with you too. This Yankees MLB collusion thing, 100% impacted the guardians. And I would go on to say that they probably would have beat the New York Yankees had everything gone into everything worked the way that it was supposed to in terms of the traveling, the, the game canceling, they, they got to the city. There were, they couldn't stay in the same hotel or some shit like that, which I totally believe would be a New York collusion type thing. Like, Hey, the visiting baseball teams come in here. Let's stick them in five different hotels throughout the city. Right. Like that seems like something that the Yankees would do. And um, they got this one, but the, the, this, these players are going to be around for a while to maybe get that back. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, it's, you know, it's a very young team that was younger than most AAA teams, which is mind-boggling. Um, right. And, you know, it, it's it's just, it's amazing. Because I I how salty I was that they they moved, um, you know, they couldn't, we saw it coming. They couldn't, there's no way they're going to sign Francisco Lindor to a $300 million contract. Um, but they signed the right people. You know, you give Jose, Jose Ramirez is like, yeah, 125, that's enough. Like, I could get double mm-hmm. that, but, like, I'd rather stay here than, you know, go someplace else, which is incredible. Um, he's the fucking man. But, like, they got rid of the, they, they got rid of, we got the best out of Francisco Lindor. That, that much is obvious. So, they got rid of him at the right time, signed the right people. You got a gold glove all-star second baseman back for Francisco Lindor. What a fucking trade. Um, mm-hmm. You got, you traded Corey Kluber two years ago for the league's best closer. And Corey Kluber pitched one inning for Texas when they traded him. Like, what a fucking... <laughs> right. like, it's it's unbelievable all the moves that they make just turn out to be the right moves. It's unreal. Yeah, that never happens in Cleveland sports. Like, ever. Like, nope. if anything, all those, all those moves would cost them and set them back and stuff like that. But for once, in this city, they made all the right moves and it worked out. Like, that in itself is a reason to celebrate. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, sorry, Let's now let's get into it. Let's get into our one-minute topics. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Chema, why don't you kick us off, pick any, any of your one minute topic? What's the, what's the little tease here for the, for the topic? 
All right. Well, we are going to be talking about the Cavs really quickly here. Excellent. So, Excellent. yeah. So, freaking basketball is alive and well in the city of Cleveland. Um, they're six and one now. Yep. Like I think five and one, six and one. Six and one. I saw. Six and one. I law, saw a little bit of the uh, Celtics game last night at the gym, which was great to uh, have the Cavs on TV out here and get on a uh, treadmill and just kind of hang on the treadmill until the game is. I watched like a quarter of it or whatever until I had to go finish my workout. So I'm loving that. And on top of this team being good on the court, they are also looking good on the court. I Ooh, fucking baby. love those mm-hmm. new uniforms. I love them. I don't care what any of the people say about them looking like practice jerseys. Those things are fucking sweet. Dude, and like, yes, I those, love that, those, love that, those blackout uniforms last night were awesome. Awesome. Yes. Those are easily some of the best jerseys we've had since the, um, the like, the, sorry, those are the best jerseys that we have in for like regular season, non-special, you mm-hmm. know, city edition stuff since the short sleeved um, jerseys that we won the title in, which are my which are like my favorite regularly worn jerseys of the yeah. last like, you know, 10, 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. So like. Those things are looking fucking awesome. Like while I would never, and I, I'm not necessarily a guy who would buy like white jerseys or whatever, just I'm going to spill something on them. Oh, yeah. But like, if I wasn't as big of a klutz, I would actually, but like those, if I like the white jerseys, that means you did something good. Yep. And so like they did a really great job with all of those. Yep. Absolutely. All the jerseys look great. Like you said, the white ones, I think it's because they just have a nice clean look to them. Like they're simplistic, clean. nice and clean. clean. Top to bottom, we don't. I'm glad we got rid of the the yellow in favor of the gold, which looks better, I think. Especially, I think the gold looks great in the black uniforms. I like the shorts on all of them too. Yeah, like all the shorts look. Oh great. yeah, I, these are. Yeah, these aren't. These aren't like. We're not talking like all time uniforms, you know. Like I think. Um, like I, I think um, in terms of the NBA, like those all time uniforms we talk about, like some of the old '70s uniforms, like the Nets um, had mm-hmm. like those asymmetrical uniforms that were awesome. The Celtics and the Lakers have all-time uniforms. They're not like there, but these are fucking great for for in terms of Cavs history. These are like your top. These are in your top three easily. Easily, dude. I absolutely love them. Loving the team. Like it just felt so great to like felt so great to like watch a, a little bit of a basketball game and see. Um, they were down in the third quarter when I was watching it, so they came back and stuff and just. The way every, like Mobley just looking amazing, Darius Garland out there like with can't even fucking see out of one eye and stuff, dropping His dimes and terrible, everything. Terrible, and he had a great game. Yeah, like that is just oh, that that's an image. That's an image. But um, <laughs> long story short, um, I am so excited to have it back, and like um, it's gonna be it's gonna be great this year to have relevant and fun and exciting Cleveland basketball even more so than it was last year. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you there. Love it. Um, I, let's, you know what, for my first topic here, let's stick with uniforms a little bit here. And I'm going to talk about the NFL number change rules. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, the NFL um, kind of went to like the college mode. You can, it doesn't matter what your position is. You can wear whatever number you want. Um, so yeah. you could be you could be a kicker that has number sixty eight if you want. Um, you could be a, a quarterback and wear number twenty two. I haven't seen that yet, but if you wanted to, you could. Um, and originally, I didn't really care too much about it. Like, I, it wasn't like something that I was like, uh oh. Like Tom Brady was concerned about it for for some reason. I can't remember the exact reason, but like I was like, okay, whatever. 
But now that we're like in year two of this, I'm kind of starting to feel like it's, I, I, it's this weird thing. It doesn't, it doesn't look right to me. It is strange to see something about a 320 pound defensive end wearing number seven. It's yeah. <laughs> really strange to see like a, ba- a big blitzing linebacker wearing number four. Um, like I, I get it in college. Like, you know, those are your, you know, like that's your, that's like your, your lucky number. You're a high recruit. Take your number four or your number five, whatever. I, I get it. It's kind of like a reward in college, right? To have those single digits or double digit yeah. number, like the low double digit numbers. It's kind of a reward. But like there's something about having linebackers in the 50s. You know, like, just you think about some of the great linebackers in the history of the NFL. Their numbers are in the 50s. Or, in mm-hmm. the case of, like, very particular in the case of the Steelers, their linebackers have always had numbers in the 90s. And yeah, that's just, like, gone now. And it's, it looks, some, in some cases, it's fine, like, seeing a, def- <clears throat> excuse me, seeing a defensive back or a wide receiver with, like, number two or three. That, that really, that kind of looks normal, right? Like, we kind of see that quite a bit. But, like, yeah, I, there's just something about certain positions that looks strange. To the point, like here's my my favorite example of this: uh, Chase Young at Ohio State, six foot six, three hundred pound defensive end. Guy looks like a fucking muscular robot or something. Um, War number two at Ohio State. He's number ninety nine now for the Commanders. He looks more intimidating in number ninety nine than he did in number two. It's just something <laughs> about it. it, like the number fits him and it makes him look even bigger. And there's just something about like some of these positions, the numbers don't fit, and it just bothers me a little bit. Yeah, dude, I can understand what you're saying, especially like in terms of the visuals and stuff. Like there are people out there like um, when I like, let's just say, for example, like you, you it's a team that you don't follow all that well, but you maybe see like a photo of them. I always think that like they're like a receiver or something like I, I think Michael Parsons might wear like a unusual kind of number. Yeah. For a linebacker. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like my definitive example here is like, I always think that that's somebody else, you know, and mm-hmm. um, cause I'm just so conditioned to seeing it like that. And like Tom Brady's arguments were one of those kind of arguments that were just like, it was so out there. I'm just like, it went right over my head and stuff. I, like I think I, I, it was quickly, I think it was, he thought like it might give the defense, an advantage because yeah, like it, you don't know who's gonna like i like well okay the guy running at you is the guy blitzing you like what right <laughs> what does the number matter but that i think that i think that was his argument but whatever yeah it was something like along those lines i don't i do i personally don't really see like it, it being like in the category of like an advantage i I, I don't see it like that i mean i'm tom brady it might be missing something that or might be picking up on something that i'm sure. totally missing but um you're right man like aesthetically it does look very very funky on screen and stuff like that i i just i'm not really like a fan of it because i've been conditioned for the longest time where certain players play certain positions and stuff like that. You know, in, in college, I think it looks awesome. Like there's this guy on USC named Corey Foreman, who is a defensive, is a rush, um, like a defensive end. He wears number zero. And I think it looks fucking dope in college. Like when LeVar Arrington and Courtney Brown were like, sorry, LeVar Arrington had like a single digit number as a linebacker when he played at Penn state. I was like, dude, that looks fucking great. It looks like a badass college football player just being a badass wearing a single digit number. But in the pros, it does it. I could. It just does kind of look wrong. You know what I'm saying? And like this is just years of me being conditioned to mm-hmm. see things a certain way in the game. There, it was weird because there was a time when the numbers were a little bit looser, um, prior to like the I want to say like prior to the 70s maybe, 
where numbers were a little bit looser. Um, but like I also I was kind of hoping that the number change would bring back some like some of the more interesting numbers at certain positions. Like there's a there's a time in the NFL like in the 70s and 80s where like a lot of defensive linemen had numbers in the 80s. Like I'm just mm-hmm. like in particular thinking of like Jack Youngblood who was like number 87. Um, defensive end, probably one of the toughest SOBs to ever play football. Um, played the Super Bowl with a broken leg. Um, like, and, he, and he's like, he's in his like late sixties, and the dude like still works out like four hours a day. It's fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I was kind of hoping that like maybe some of those interesting numbers would kind of come back. But like, again, everyone's just, and I understand it. Like, again, like it's probably your lucky number from college or high school or whatever. So I kind of get it. But at the same time, like, I see, I see a linebacker with like number eight. I'm like. Man, stick a five in front of that. You look fucking badass at 58. You look kind of small as number eight. I don't know. I, whatever. Yeah. No, dude, I, I, I get what you're saying here. It's just the way it looks, it just looks unusual. And who knows, maybe in five, ten years or so, it, it might start to look a little normal just because yeah, you have more exposure to it. But, like, yeah, there is something about it that just does look a little funky. That's for sure. I just, I just hope we never see, like, an offensive lineman who's, like, number 27. Right. <laughs> yeah. That'll look <laughs> Ultra strange. Yeah, that'll look really fucking weird on that one. That's right. <laughs> that's, why is there? You'll see that. Yeah, why is there a big tackled. fat running back in the middle of the field? Yeah, there'll, there'll be people like linebackers just tackling that guy, getting up, doing a celebration dance. I'm like, oh shit, that was the guard. <laughs> right. All right. How about how about your next uh, one minute topic? Okay, so my next one minute topic, we're going to be um, switching over to baseball. This particularly the Guardians. Okay. Um, I heard about something that was done this year for um, one of the Guardians playoff games. Actually, probably maybe one of the two of them that they had um, in the first round, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't follow it for the second round. I will definitely admit that. But um, the social media, the team, somewhere in there, there was a lot of encouragement for people to wear red and to do a red out at the stadium. Mm-hmm. I fucking think that these football things with the crowd should translate to baseball in in every way, shape or form stuff like this, like get the crowd united to get everybody in the bleachers wearing the same color to make the stadium look fucking awesome. And like, there are some things just in general with baseball and crowds and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. It's, it seems like in cities like New York and Boston and stuff, the crowds are a little more rowdy. They're a little more into it. These teams were like, you know, the, the red, there's so much history there and stuff like that, where like the Red Sox are like the team in town that you want to see. So when I saw that the guardians were doing something like this, I thought that this was a fucking phenomenal idea and they should be encouraging this kind of stuff for all big games, even throughout the course of the regular season. And there are just like, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like, Stuff that um, like in college, like when Penn State does that, like I don't even like Penn State, but I would I would wear white to be a part of that whiteout if I got invited to see them watch like a play a random game where they were just happen to be doing that. And I think that it might kind of help with some of the shit that baseball has been suffering attendance wise. They need to take some things from football and just make baseball an all out party and doing these kinds of things that. whether it's the crowd dressing it all in the same clothing or maybe the guardians having some kind of like specific chant, almost like the, the chop used to be, but just not as, you know, not offensive. I think something like that would be awesome for Cleveland baseball. And if you're going to have a, a team with a brand new name, you might as well do a couple of other new things in there to help build a cool tradition of baseball in Cleveland. I agree. More, more red outs should be uh, it should be an opening day thing. A red out, um, like you said, just yeah, 
you know, Yankees are in town, uh, red out. Uh, we're actually going to, next next season, the baseball schedule changes. So every, everyone plays everyone. Um, so like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if the Dodgers are necessarily coming to Cleveland or if the, you know, or if the Guardians are going to be in LA, but let's just pretend the Dodgers are in Cleveland for a three game series. One of those games should be a red out, you know, especially if it's on like a weekend or something, gotta be a red out. Yeah. Like they, you're right. They need Definitely. to do stuff like that. That is a little bit more, a little bit more college, take a page out of college football. Those are, they, college football figured a lot of that shit out a long time ago. How to, how to get, how to get the fans jacked up for a game. You do a whiteout, you know, if you're Penn State, or uh, they did like a, for the Ohio State game, they did like a stripe out or something like that, where like they was, did, yeah, yeah, blue and white, like that shit's cool. Do it, try it, you know. And if no one does it, no one does it. I mean, whatever. But like, ever everyone, you know, I, I watched. Um, I was in Texas during the playoff games, but I was able to watch. Um, I was able to watch like several innings of both games, and like, and so like I, you know watching that first game like seeing everyone dressed in red i'm like okay that's cool like it, it really fucking it really does like tie everything together tie the stadium together tie the team together tie the fans together do it more please yeah give them a song where everybody can sing along and stuff take some of these fucking uh college football tactics and put them into major league baseball i'm telling you it's going to be great for the the, the stadium ballpark going to experience absolutely absolutely I am also going to stick in baseball, but I'm going to talk about the rule changes real quick. Um, it, it really is very clear that these rule changes are needed. And I, I say that like I, I'm not a, I'm not particularly a baseball purist. And like as much as as much as I enjoy certain facets of baseball, every other sport every year has rule changes. The NFL has a whole committee mm-hmm. to explore rule changes every <laughs> single season. Um, right. and, and sometimes, you know, like they, you, at one point in time, you could, uh, was it two years ago, three years ago, you could challenge pass interference and they ended up ditching it, but they tried it. Right. Baseball hasn't changed a rule, a, a major rule like that in a long fucking time. Um, they've, they've changed like the, the mound visitation rules and stuff like that, but that's about it. Um, so like these changes are really needed because we have, we've seen the death of the left-handed pull hitter. If you're a left-handed pull hitter, there are like fucking eight guys waiting on the one side of the infield for you. Um, mm-hmm. We've reduced the need for athleticism on the infield. I mean, how many times do you see a guy like basically not even have to move for a for a hard hit ball? They don't even have to fucking move because it's right at them, um, yeah. which definitely allows you as as a team to not have the best you know not necessarily the best athletes on your infield, which is you know an advantage for a team that can pay for sluggers. But that anyway, mm-hmm. and it you're we're also like this like the shifting stuff really punishes hitters who have done their job if you walk up to the plate and you crack a ball at 110 miles an hour what else are you supposed to do like you you have done your job and for a hundred years that was always a hit or at least more often than not it was a hit um and you know in the last like decade everyone and you know everyone shifting before like when the rays were doing it it was kind of a novelty thing because like they had to do whatever they could to do, do to win but like mm-hmm. These teams that like you know watching the Dodgers shift on every single play, it's like don't you have enough money to pay for athletes that can cover that? Like <laughs> that's why the Rays had to do it because they didn't have the money to pay for the athletes. But anyway, so mm-hmm. all of that's going to be is going to be welcome. We're going to actually see some like going to see like an increase in hits, which makes the game more interesting. The pitch clock, as we've covered before, is definitely needed, especially late in games when the relievers come in and just make the game stop. My God, the the guardian James Karinchak for the Guardians, 
Jesus Christ. It takes him a minute to throw a pitch sometimes. Just yeah, <laughs> play with your fucking hair and go pitch. And you know, so hopefully that gets things moving. But then, like, I think another thing that's going to be really interesting to see, the bases are getting a little bit bigger, and you can't throw over to first base um, as much as, like, you can only throw over a certain amount of times. So I'm hoping that, like, the action part of baseball that makes it interesting, stealing bases, getting base hits, hopefully these rule changes do bring that back. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, something needs to be done, especially with the, the pacing of the game and stuff. Like, when you when you go to the game, like, I, for some reason, like, I feel it moves a little bit quicker. That's just maybe just because I'm there and you can you're like, have drinks and stuff, and stuff yeah. like that. You're right, not seeing any commercials and everything. But, like, when you're watching it on on TV and stuff like that, it just takes fucking forever, dude, forever to get stuff going and everything. And like, I can like, and that's in some ways, um, it sucks, but it also, I will say that like whenever the, um, the heat is on in a baseball situation, like where, you know, whether it's bringing runners in from scoring positions, a team down late in the, uh, late in an inning or something, trying to make a comeback, like it adds like suspense to it. But like that, to me, I feel like that's kind of like a needed suspense. Like, I, you know, I think it's in some way, shape or form, like the, you know, the pacing of the game is exciting in those like tense situations, but still it could be moved a little bit faster and stuff, you know? So I am all for any type of, any type of rule change that gets the game going quicker and stuff like that. And like some of these like shift bands and stuff like that and everything like that, you know, hopefully this stuff does make, um, you know, does make your infielders and stuff like the need to have like really quality athletes and stuff like that on the infield. I mean, could you imagine if Robbie Alomar and, and Omar Vizquel didn't have to move? <laughs> oh my God. What like, would be the point of them? Right. Exactly. Like, yeah, no shit. That's exactly right. Especially for Omar being as great as he was and stuff with the tribe yeah. back then. Yeah. Anyway. So there you go. The MLB rule changes. I, I think they're needed and I think there needs to be, I'm sure I'm sure there's a committee, there's a competition committee or something, but they need to at least like the NFL does because again, God, the NFL is so much better at the NFL makes the competition committee a story once a week, once a year. Like yeah. and like because the NFL can make anything in the news. They the MLB needs to like make that sort of something too that like gets out that is something a little bit more public that like hey, our our version of the competition committee, the rules committee whatever, we're meeting to discuss this. Because if nothing yeah. else, it's good fucking it's good fucking press for um you know for your sport and you, like you might be able to sort of leak stuff and get some feelers on okay so like the you know the idea of because there was an idea like moving the mound back like six feet or five feet or something um which that, that's not going to happen but you know like you can kind of get like you can kind of get quick public opinion if you do let stuff like that leak but like a lot of this stuff is is sort of some for some reason kept a little bit. Um, not totally closed-lipped, but like, you know, like, you know what I mean. Like the way the NFL does it, it, it very purposeful leaks. They make sure the right people know right. about like what they're talking about. The MLB needs to fucking catch up and do the same thing. Yeah, no, and, and honestly, that's like, that's kind of a good way to, I guess, like get a little bit of feedback to to leak some kind of information out there and stuff. And like, this is this is a game that like a lot millions of people watch thousands of people cover and stuff like that. The hundreds of people play. So 
putting that kind of information out strategically, I think is like, it's a good idea. And like, and believe me, the amount of clicks and headlines and stuff like that, they would just generate from one leak. Like they're winning the sports media news day that day. I mean, they're going to probably win any day they decide to do something like that. But um, that is something that uh, I think that it's something gets people talking at least maybe puts people in a certain mind frame of like what kind of decisions that they're trying to make. And you're right. Like some of these things, like the pass interference challenge, like they, they don't work out, but that's one of the really great things about football is at least they're trying, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? It seems like somewhere out there, somebody is listening while with baseball, it's almost like you have all these people talking, saying really intelligent things, and then this communication line seems to end in a room full of 80-year-old dudes who don't want anything to change. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and like that, unfortunately, is um, is not good. That nope. is definitely not good. And I'm trying to keep some things off. I have more things to say about baseball sort of okay. in this regard with my next topic. But um, it is definitely something that is not that productive because – the world keeps changing and I'm not saying that like the game should change with the world. It's not like there's some deep sentence there, but like the game should evolve in some way, shape or form with the times. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the slowest sport to do so, but you know, it, it, it's lesson. They're learning their lesson now as their fan base manages to not unlike every other fan base for every other sport that gets slightly younger. There's gets slightly older. Not good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so let's let's do let's jump into the two minute topics. Uh, go for it. You pick one and, and uh, lead lead us off here. All right, dude. So I will um, basically just have a, like a little bit of an extension of what we were just talking okay. about with baseball and stuff, and not necessarily in the form of the rule changes, but at least in the form of the topic. And um, so I was saw online an article from CBS and a few other articles where baseball attendance, guess what, everybody, it's down again. And we're looking at the ninth consecutive season that baseball attendance has dropped. It's dropped 5.7% from 2019. And there um, some room for, you know, not factoring in 2020 into this article. They, you know, do a good job of like at least stipulating that, you know, 2020 yeah. was not really factored into this appropriately. So, but for a nine-year period, the sport has continuously seen a drop. And, like, we are looking um, – so the lowest point of the last 25 years was in 1997 when the season attendance total was just over $61 million. And in 2022, the season, attendant, season attendance was over $67,500,000, somewhere in that area. But that is still down from um, – 2019 where attendance was over 68 million it's like 68 million a couple hundred thousand something like that so the last time there was an actual increase in in attendance was from 2011 to 2012 but attendance has dropped 14 percent since that particular time now in 2022 it wasn't all that there were nine teams out there that saw an increase in attendance, like the Braves, Orioles, White Sox, Tigers, Mets, Padres, Mariners, Marlins, and Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays saw the largest increase in attendance with 52%, mostly because they were good this year and stuff. So like I could see how maybe the Mariners would see a big up increase in attendance because they weren't so great. And this year they went to the playoffs and stuff. They like also, that. So some of that, the Blue Jays also had a, the Blue Jays also had a split season last year. Where they, they played, did. They, they were played in, in Tampa. In, 
That's right. That is right. Yes, you so bet. So their like, attendance is going to kick up naturally. Yeah, like that is a huge increase. Fifty-two percent. That's a mondo increase. Because they went from playing like in a spring training stadium to <laughs> playing in Toronto. Right. Exactly. So, like that. Like those type of things. Like that's almost just like a, a once in a, a million right. years type of situation. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to kick their like attendance that. up next year. Fifty-two percent. No possible way. No. Yeah. Not a chance in hell. <laughs> not a chance. But like the um, fourteen teams saw a decline in attendance. Um, the A's had the biggest drop in attendance at 53%, 102 lost season, all this subterfuge as to whether or not they're actually going to have a team. Um, and like after driving by that stadium in Oakland, um, yeah, it, I could, yeah, that there definitely needs to be some work done in terms of the, um, the property and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You could see the rust on that thing from the highway made me feel like I was going to made me see, like, I feel like I was looking at the old Cleveland stadium again. I got a little bit of a nostalgia rush there, but um, for the most part, it is not necessarily aesthetically beautiful, especially by California yeah. standards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially when the, the giant stadium, which we also walked by, was nice and awesome and mm-hmm. in a great location and all that really cool setup that they have with the giant stadium. So 14 of these teams have suffered a decline in attendance. The Guardians um, even saw like as much as a 20 percent drop in attendance. So like. My thing here with this is um, I don't know what the hell baseball is going to do to get people back in these seats. This is like one of the only sports that's out there that I feel really does something for the consumer. I mean, the Guardians in particular have got it figured out with this district ticket and stuff like that. I mean, this to me feels like somebody who's catering to people to get them into the stands by offering them a very great deal where you spend X amount of dollars on a ticket and you also get a free drink and stuff like that. And you get to hang out in their cool kind of standing only section. So I am at like, you know, is the pitch clock or whatever going to necessarily drive up attendance? I have no idea. I don't even know like what kind of gimmicks the MLB could possibly pull to get people into the stadiums more to drive up attendance. So for my own personal pitch to this whole thing, I'm going to kind of stick with my own um, thought process from before and borrowing some things off football. And I'm going to tell the MLB right now, you guys stop playing nostalgia, stop marketing to families and just make baseball games a fucking party. Like allow tailgating, have these lots in the city, like free up some rules and restrictions to have more of a tailgate scene and make fucking baseball feel like an absolute fucking party. Get people in there and just have a good fucking time. And I think that this might be the only way to like drive up attendance because whatever they were doing before clearly hasn't worked. And like, I've seen a lot of, Baseball, like, hey, nostalgia, come down with the ballpark, with your family, all this other kind of stuff. And I think they got to throw that out the window and make baseball a fucking party. And that may be completely off. But as far as um, what I'm seeing here in terms of the attendance and everything, people like to party. People like to tailgate. People like to get drunk. It's the fucking summer. It's like the only nice weather that some of these areas are going to see. You might as well fucking exploit that for all it's worth and turn baseball into a fucking party in the summer that it can be. I got you. I got. By the way, was that a twelve-minute topic or a two-minute topic? That was a fourteen-minute topic. Okay. Um, but um, all right. So, I I do agree with you on on some points here. Like, I definitely agree with you on some points. The problem is, do you party every night, Chema? See, no, I do not. Do you party one hundred and sixty-two times a year? 
I wish I totally fucking could. Right. That's the problem. You can't turn this into a party every single night on like a school night at six o'clock on a Tuesday. Um, that's the problem that like the, the, that's the problem why baseball can't do it. It's not an event. It's an everyday kind of thing. That's that's what football has and will always have over every single other sport. It's once a week, it's on the weekend. Or, you know, occasionally Monday night, Thursday night, whatever. You can plan your entire week around it. You cannot plan five or six tailgates in a week or seven tailgates in a week. That's just impossible. Um, so, like, that's what they're – and, that's, and that, hence that's why attendance goes up on Saturdays and Sundays, at Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays um, for baseball. Um, but here's why baseball is not concerned with, with that in particular. So while attendance has gone down, revenues continue to climb every single season. And they will continue to climb every single season going forward. So as long as the teams are making money, they don't really care if people are in the stadiums or not. Yeah, until those, it's got to be like TV contracts, merchandising, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, if streaming, you're making money. Streaming, streaming, streaming revenue and gambling. Yeah. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. I keep forgetting get people gamble on baseball. And it's just out of all the sports that just that's kind of like the one where I look at it's like you're gambling on baseball. It's a problem. kind of. Oh, thing, it's but, easy uh, gambling, though. Yeah, I, be, I totally believe that. Yeah, it's just it's something that I personally don't gamble on. So, like, it's I keep forgetting that people even gamble on baseball. I mean, you get but, you get multiple daily parlays. It's like an every believe me, it's it's really easy to gamble on baseball. But um, yeah, so like the NFL, the NFL, the NBA doesn't, NBA, Jesus Christ, MLB doesn't care about attendance the same way that, that like the NFL might care. Cause like the NFL doesn't want to show empty stadiums on TV. Um, like, right. but for the most part, your general view on, not that the, and not that MLB wants empty stadiums, but how often do you see the seats in a baseball game? you really don't get a whole glimpse of the whole stadium often. It's usually like certain sections you see consistently that are mostly like in the bottom and stuff. Right. Like at least, so like you may get like the occasional like view of the whole stadium or like somehow sometimes the stadiums have those cameras in them that like show the skyline in the background, but you're never really getting consistent full shots of the, the baseball stadiums the same way you're getting in football with all the aerial Goodyear blimp kind of stuff. Right. Like you got the, you got the, the spider cam overhead, overhead, even on just like the, even like just the regular game camera on like a pass play or something they're like, especially like a long pass play or like a long run the way they like they pan you know they'll, they'll pull back slightly to see like the full play you see the stadium right. all the time um and i even remember like the in the past several years when the browns were really terrible thinking of like the, their one in 32 stretch um or one in 31 stretch they those late games like the the nfl whoever is directing those late games they were purposely not showing certain shots because there was nobody in the stadium <laughs> Right. Yeah, I know. That's like, man, it just it sucks for football when no one shows up to the games. Like, and, and there are plenty of fucking Browns games and seasons where you could just stumble upon tickets uh, stuck to a telephone pole somewhere, like a quarter mile radius around yep. the stadium. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, baseball just isn't concerned with it the way that you think they might be. I mean, obviously, they'd like to have full stadiums, but if if the owners keep making money, what you know, what does it matter? Nope, you got that right, dude. Definitely. All right. Um, I'm going to stick, I'm going to go with the NFL here, and I'm going to talk about how analytics have gone a little wacky in the NFL. And this goes back to possibly the, possibly the tweet of the year that really sums up what I'm talking about. It's a Bill Simmons tweet 
from, I think, two weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Bill Simmons tweeted, in 2022, an NFL, ho- an NFL head coach would jump out of a fourth floor window because analytics say it's faster than taking the stairs. And this, I mean, he's right. And this is like where we've we've hit a weird tipping point with a lot of coaches in the NFL where like the we have gone way far in the direction of the numbers versus the feel of the game like we we are now too there are too many coaches like Brandon Staley the the head coach of the uh of the Chargers who goes seemingly goes on fourth down all the time um in situations where going for fourth down really doesn't even make sense there are more coaches like that because the numbers are dictating that like, well, on the whole, you know, going forward, fourth down makes more sense. Sure. That's the aggregate of the entire NFL. But sometimes there, you know, sometimes you have to look at the situation. Does going for it on fourth down and short, even in your opponent's territory, you're up by three and your defense is playing lights out. Do you really want to give them the ball with, you know, you want to give them the ball with a short field or do you want to like trust your defense? Like that to me feels like something that like, a lot of NFL coaches have lost that sort of feel for the game. Like mm-hmm. there, it's certainly there are certain, there are definitely analytics, no brainers. If it's fourth and like a yard on your opponent's 45 punting, you know, you could shank a punt and only make up 10 yards. Um, you, right. Especially like if you go for it in that situation, especially like if it's early on in the game and the game's not in the balance yet, it makes sense. You, it's, you get a big gain on, on first down throw deep on second and short. Why not? You have another down to run like for two yards or whatever. Um, they're just right. analytics, no brainers, but there's just so many times. How, how many times have you seen Kevin Stefanski with a sure three points in his pocket, throw the ball three times in the, in the red zone. And it's just like, it's just like Jesus Christ, like take the three points and go back. And then, and then, you know, especially the season where we've lost the Browns have lost three games by three points or less. Boy, wouldn't those early field goals have been nice. It's, just this weird feeling where like the NFL head coaches are just extraordinarily analytics driven and they're not playing, they're not playing with the feel of the game at those moments. Yeah. Those examples that you bring up with Stefanski are definitive examples of this kind of stuff because you're right. Those fucking games that we've lost, those three points would have come in handy big time and everything. And like, I, I kind of feel that um, there's way, way, way too many missed opportunities, at least like we were talking with like the Browns and Stefanski and stuff in general, that they shouldn't be doing some of this analytics stuff. At some point in time, like the analytics have to go out the door and the game has to be the game. That's why like. I always kind of felt that like the perfect situation was somebody who's like a combination analytics guy and football guy, like has they, they were, you know, before, like maybe even still are two distinct personalities in the NFL. So at some point in time, you have to, I guess, just kind of like rely on your players and rely on your kicker to come in and do something good. You're right. These analytics, no brainers that you had mentioned, like those are exactly that they are no brainers. And a lot of the times um, I would go for it on fourth down. If they're on the four, I'd probably go for it on the fourth down every single time. If the ball was on my opponent's uh, 45 yard line. However, like it just seems like whenever they, whenever they do this and it goes wrong, 
it's just like it seems like analytics is just like screaming in your face. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, it's just like they clearly made this decision based on analytics. Like there's no heart and soul. There's no, you know, comprehensive decision making. It's just all like formulaic. Like here is situation 27 B do this, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the Browns could be sitting in a much better position today than what they currently are because of maybe two or three different made decisions. And like, I know as Browns fans, like we in some way, shape or form talk every single year about how the team could be undefeated. The team could be X and one or X and two, whatever it is, if it Mm -hmm. weren't for this, that, and the other. Now, a lot of that I feel is um, just fans being fans. Oh, for sure. You know, like I, I I feel that there's not a lot of um, stuff to like fall back on in terms of like supporting your argument. However, this year you got a couple examples and you got some pretty good examples of how a situation would be drastically different if a different decision was made. And the thing is, is like, I sort of lost a little bit of my enthusiasm with Stefanski because of some of these decisions. Like I still think he's really smart. I still like him, but I've had to question him more in the last, you know, two years and a few games than I did the entire first season, which is just weird. If anything, I should have been questioning him all up and down the first season he was here, but the the first two or sorry, the the last season and these first couple games of this current season, you know, we've heard phrases like Stefanski getting out coached is Stefanski on the hot seat. And these were things that we didn't really hear that much about in like the first season, maybe even a little bit into the second season. So yeah, I, I kind of think that um, there needs to be a, a harmony of some kind, and hopefully Stefanski finds it, because if this season isn't going to go to hell in a handbasket, like something's got to be done. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to eschew talking about Stefanski here, because he's actually not even the worst defender of this. Um, Brandon Staley is like the worst defender of this. Like he... Actually, it was against the Browns. Um, the The Chargers had like a fourth and short, and they're inside their own thirty five, and they went for it, and almost gave the Browns a, uh, almost gave the Browns a victory. But of course, they couldn't close it. Um, okay. There, Brandon Staley. Um, oh gosh, um, I want to. I want to. Not Nick Sirianni. Um, there's another younger coach. Um, the the guy in fucking uh, the guy in Miami right now, um, who's a fucking weirdo. Um, oh, Mike McDaniel. Yeah, yeah, Mike McDaniel. Yeah. They're so analytically driven that it's it's and I'm not surprised, you know, like um, Brandon Staley never played pro football. Mike McDaniel definitely never played pro football. Um, And I'm not saying that you have to, but it's just very clear where they're sort of what they're relying on in lieu of experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's again, like I don't give a shit if someone plays football or not. Um, Bill Belichick never played pro football. He's done pretty well for himself. But right. and, and the Patriots have one of the most robust analytics department. I mean, they analyze everything, everything like that you can analyze. But at the end of but the end of the day, Bill Belichick will go, OK, thank you for the information. I'll use it when I need to use it, as opposed to thanks right. for the information. I'm going to use this all the time. Yeah, dude, well, like, you know. McDaniels and Stefanski and stuff like that, like they, they played at like, um, like Ivy league schools and stuff like that. Like McDaniel, I think went to Yale and Stefanski is a a Penn grad and everything. So like 
they had this they had this experience with the game and this like familiarity with the game that is so specific to like one area of the country in terms of football with the Ivy leagues and stuff. I mean, like this is just not how football is played in most of the the country and stuff like that is most schools are not Ivy league schools. So like they're, I think like they're even approached to relying on analytics. Like it just stems from this experience with the game. That's not a lot of, not a lot of people have. And like, I could see them maybe because of their education and their intelligence, resorting back to the numbers and stuff like that. Oh, I don't and think that matters the, at all. The, that, like, gotcha, I don't think that matters gotcha. whatsoever. No. Yeah. I, that would be the only thing I could think of. In oh, regards no, to that. every, it's not like they're the only teams with analytics departments. Like every, like, believe me, every, Brandon Staley didn't go to, um, didn't go to fucking Yale. So, um, he went to Dayton. So like it, it you know, everyone goes to Dayton. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I just think that there are teams that are, they are reticent to sort of just have a, either reticent to do things that are sort of by gut because, and this is also like front offices are more in coordination with their coaching staffs than ever before. So if the president of the team says, this is what we're doing, that's what you're doing. Um, And if they want to do analytics, then you're going to do analytics. So it, it kind of doesn't even matter, but it does. It does seem like coaches are coaching out of fear of not doing what the numbers say. Yeah, I could see. I could definitely see that. And because this analytics is so prominent in the league, and a lot of people are relying on it in some way, shape, or form, they they probably are cowering to the the at the phenomenon of, of analytics. Yeah. All right. So, what's your next uh, two minute topic? All right. So the next is, one and is it actually two uh, minutes? Yes, it is. Okay. You bet. I am so over the Manning cast. Now, this was something <laughs> I was originally open to. I thought Peyton and Eli, the two really solid quarterbacks, two great football minds, so much charisma between those two individuals and just kind of naturally entertaining. I thought this might end up being a good idea. It is not. It's basically like watching a conversation with your friends happen with a football game on in the background on television. This is something that I just I'm really over with, man. Like there's so many things about it that like I I guess I'm just over. Like I thought Mm -hmm. that them in their and their like um, experience with the game and what they'd be able to contribute in terms of the broadcast. I thought that'd be something kind of unique. Instead, every other play is, Hey, I would have thrown a pass. And then when something doesn't go the way it's supposed to, Hey, I would have done this differently. When you hear that a couple hundred times throughout the course of a broadcast, and then you're having to deal with interviews from people and stuff on top of it, I just can't even watch the game. Mm -hmm. Like that would, that would work better as a podcast uh, having the brothers, maybe one is on the field, another one is in the booth with a professional broadcaster in some way. Maybe we don't, so we don't have to look at them the entire time, and we could focus on the game. That might be a better suit for the the Manning brothers. Uh, but the way that they have things now, I thought there was a lot of promise to this, but I just don't think that it's. I just don't think that this is the best product that ESPN could put out there. 100% agree. And I'm not shocked that, that ESPN doubled down on it whatsoever, but I 100% agree with you. It's the, 
it's not just like the the kind of like the oh I would throw a pass here. There's also bits. We have to do bits that that co- that go through the game. You know, like they'll pick right. up a joke and kind of continue with it. And I'm kind of like, I, I what it and really what it did kind of start off with was a little bit more directly linked into watching the game. And but then like you know that they got like feedback that was like oh they liked when you did this. They like when you right. had this player on and did this interview. So we're going to do an interview with, you know, some weird interview with a crazy interview with Marshawn Lynch. And like, I'm, I'm like, I'm seeing the game like in a smaller portion of the screen trying to watch what's happening while they're just like fucking talking about like fast food or something. And right. I'm like, okay, like I, like you, I thought this was going to be a little bit more of a, and it, again, it did start off a little bit more of a, Hey, we're going to give you our analysis and you're going to, it's going to be a little bit lighter, a little bit more casual. Right, like we're gonna get mm-hmm. some personal, you know, some anecdotes and stuff like that that maybe you wouldn't get in a regular broadcast because, you know, rightfully so. Like in a regular broadcast, the analyst has to do the, excuse me, the play-by-play guy, the announcer actually has to call the action, let you know what's going on. Then the analyst gets to kick in. So you're gonna have right in this situation two analysts, so you can do some, you know, it can be a little bit looser, a little bit more anecdotal. But then it just, it, you're right, like it, it just, it doesn't live up to like what I would want out of a more casual broadcast. And I, I have a feeling they're gonna get, they're gonna get this sort of. That's what their numbers are gonna reflect at the end of the season, mm-hmm. and and I'd be surprised. Not that it's gonna go away. I'd be shocked if we saw it more than like four or five times next year. Yeah, dude. I hopefully that is the case because whatever is going on here is really not working. What you said about how they've got some feedback. How many fucking times are we gonna have to hear a forehead? Peyton Manning joke you know what I'm saying like it's like Eli makes a lot of them throughout the course of yep. these broadcasts that we I've gotta seen. do a bit we gotta and, do a bit and then now they're on to uh, quarters of pullovers and stuff so they took because Obama wore quarters of pullover and they do we have to talk about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and this has to become something that not only is talked about during the game but filters its way onto social media to be hanging around for a couple of days after the fact so I respect Peyton. I, I respect Eli. I actually, I like them. I thought when Eli did his whole thing as some Max Connors, when he came as a kid to Penn state's open tryouts, like I, I got a little bit of a kick out of that, you know, like there's things that they do that I like and I like their personalities, but I don't like them doing this. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if they had like a weekend pregame show? something like that something that didn't have a game going on in the background yeah. that would be a way better thing like i like i said i will take the manning brothers podcast i will take the like a, a pre-game show a post-game show if they want to come in and do a halftime commentary i'm totally cool mm-hmm. with that too but like putting them on for the entire duration of a game there's just a better use of the, of their charisma, their knowledge. It could be put towards other things. Abs- I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. I, it, it's just, it's already run its course. And it was interesting. They, um, ESPN tried to have a similar broadcast for their Sunday Night Baseball. And mm-hmm. that lasted like two games before they were like, <laughs> before they were like, I think because I think it was like A-Rod and someone else. And they were just like, no, it. No, we're we're not gonna we're we're not involving Arod in this. No, thank you. Yeah, no, and like that seems like it's even more of a mistake because baseball is something that you have you 
have to put a lot of focus into and takes longer and everything. So instead of having a three hour or two and a half hour conversation amongst the Manning brothers, listen to a three hour conversation featuring A-Rod. No, thank you. I'm not in it for a three hour conversation with A-Rod. No, thank you. Not a fucking chance, dude. Not a chance at all. All right, Chema. Um, where am I going here? Oh, two minute topics here. Sorry for that. Uh, had a little, had to take a little uh, commercial break there. Um, so my last two minute topic here. I'm I'm going back to the Cavaliers, and this is one of this is one of I think I think we're we're all in favor of, of praising the Cavs right now uh, for the uniforms, and in this case, swinging the Donovan Mitchell trade. He is. Yeah. It, not only is he better than advertised, he is one of the most perfect fits I, I've ever seen for a team bringing in a new player. So, I've been a Donovan Mitchell. I've been a Donovan Mitchell fan since he got in the league. Like, legitimately, he is one of my favorite players. And I, I think it's because he was in Utah. We don't get to see a lot of like full games of his unless the Cavs were playing him, or like Utah was on like one of the national games of the week on ESPN or or ABC or whatever. Um, yeah. you, did, you didn't get a chance to see him a lot on the East Coast. So, like, generally speaking, I would, you know, see Mitchell play in, like, one or two games a year and then, like, catch all of his highlights. Uh, especially, you know, follow him on Instagram so I'd see his highlights there. He is way better than those highlights. Like, way better than, like, what I have seen. And, again, one of my favorite players, he is way better than what I've seen over the last few years. He is a better defender than he's – that was, like, sort of the knock on him, that he's not a great defender and he's – a slightly undersized, you know, two guard. He's like six three or whatever. Um, but like that was one knock he's, that he was not a good defender. Bullshit. He's a good on ball defender. Um, he's a better shooter than I remember. He is a better facilitator than I recall. Of course, he didn't. He wasn't like the sole point guard in um, in you know a sole ball handler in Utah. Like Mike Conley was there too. But he looks like he is. So he's all of that, and he looks like he's been running with the Cavs for years. It, it doesn't look like we added a new player. And I, and oddly enough, I think losing Garland for those few games with his fucking nasty-ass eye injury, um, I think that actually kind of helped speed up a little bit of that chemistry. Like, other mm-hmm. players getting, kind of getting a chance to sort of, you know, really get, like, the long, you know, really get the full Donovan Mitchell experience and understand, like, where the ball needs to be for him on the floor, where you need to be on the floor. This is, like, an unbelievable trade. This has got to be one of the Cavs' all-time top trades. Um, like who cares about the picks? I mean, quite frankly, who gives a shit about the picks? You're not going to pick anyone in the next two or three drafts that are going to be better than Donovan Mitchell. And this is also one of the rare times, Chema, where I think both the Jazz and the Cavs won like a lot out of this trade. The, the Jazz get to kickstart their rebuild and they got some pretty good competent players to rebuild with and all those picks. The Cavs didn't need the picks and we got a guy that's going to be here for at least this season and two more. And if things go well, who knows? It could be longer than that. I, this is like a fucking home run. Yeah, this is one of these Cavaliers trades that is showing immediate results right away. This is just a fucking great move. This isn't like bringing in Shaq into the organization like way after right. the fact or D- Dwayne Wade because he wants to hang out with LeBron or whatever. <laughs> right. Like this is way this is way better than bringing um Larry. Oh God, Larry, what's his name? He was like LeBron's boy back with the first time LeBron was here in Cleveland. Uh, Larry, Hughes. Escaped. Larry Hughes. That's right, Larry mm-hmm. Hughes. This is not like bringing in Larry Hughes in the town. Like this guy. Like from what I saw the other day when I was watching the Celtics games. He looked fucking great. He had drives on him. It was like there were he was going into the the lane and making shots that I just don't think that 
a Cavaliers trade, like Larry Hughes would not have made those kind of shots and everything like that. The team chemistry looked fantastic. It didn't look like any dick measuring contest between players on the floor and mm-hmm. stuff like this. He looks like he's fitting into his role on the team fantastically. And the team is adjusting to his presence on the team perfectly. Like what a great, just what a great fucking move in general. And like, does this make the Cavs a NBA finals contender? Like I'm, I'm not going to say yes right now. The jury's still out on that. I'm sure they need a couple of pieces to be an on paper finals contender, but man, did they look fucking good last night? And if they keep playing the way that they're playing, this team is going to be fucking dangerous um, as we get closer to the playoffs and stuff. I'm, I'm just so excited about this. Like the, the Cavs were with LeBron were, were like really, really fun to watch, but having this team build a winning identity without LeBron, it just means a lot to me. It's not, yeah. I don't hate LeBron in any way, shape or mm-hmm. form. I, I don't curse LeBron's name at night or anything. I actually don't even think him going to LA was a, a bad move. Like the decision was fucking horrible is awful and will never ever be otherwise. But like him going to LA, like I, I kind of got it. I'm like, all right, he, he got his our championship. He's going to go on to be in a city where he wants to eventually live. It seemed a little more justified him going to LA and for them to bounce back the way that they have with only being a few years removed from Le- LeBron's de- departure to, L- to LA, I I think that this is just a great move all around, and this is going to be a really fun team to follow this winter. Absolutely. I I love – you're absolutely right. It is really important for this team to rebuild itself post-LeBron and be something other than – other than, you know, the the past – what did he – he was here for 14 total seasons? 13 total seasons? Yeah, between the two times around. Sorry, sorry, 11 total seasons. I'm – Sorry, that was, yeah, 11 total seasons and, you know, all, all of them except for like his first couple, wildly successful. It is so important for for the basketball fans in Cleveland to have something else to cheer for besides LeBron. And, you know, Mobley is there now. Garland is there. Um, obviously, Jared Allen is there. And now you have a guy who I always thought was, you know, a top 20 player. I always thought uh, Mitch was a top 20 player. He might actually be more like a top eight player in reality. Um, Yeah. Now that he's sort of kind of, um, now that he's playing with, you know, the jazz, the jazz were really good. Um, And they had a great coach that I know he really, really liked Quinn Snyder quite a bit, but I think you're getting East coast Quinn Snyder. Like JB Bickerstaff has this, has the same kind of, regard around the league that like Quinn Snyder has in terms of being like a, a real players coach and really mm-hmm. sort of being like a team uniter. Um, so he might've left one coach that he really liked for another coach. That's just like him. And yeah. for players that are significantly, you know, they're younger and significantly better than the players he had in Utah. And like, I think we, you know, the, that combination of a tremendous point guard in Darius Garland who can score his own points but also is more than happy to throw out 12 to 15 assists a game is just going to unlock everything for, you know, for Mitchell. And then additionally, obviously for Mobley and for anyone else that is on the fucking floor. I mean, it's, it, it really, you're right. Like I'm not sitting here like, Oh man, punch their tickets, punch their tickets to the finals. They still got to get past at at the very least. They still got to get past the fucking bucks. And they look like they might not lose, you know, until sometime in December. So, 
you know, we'll see. But, like, for sure, this is a team that if, you know, if they really get, you know, we'll see once they have their first losing streak, kind of what they look like and how they rebound mm-hmm. out of it. But this is a team for sure that, like, if you if they really get cooking, I don't know how you necessarily stop them. There just isn't – there are too many there are too many answers to all of – to everything that you could throw up at them. There's just too many answers on the floor. Yeah, I know. You got you – got two seven footers you got big guys that are just a couple inches shorter than those seven footers waiting on the bench and stuff quality fucking point guards like with garland and everything like that i mean this is just this is just everything coming together in all the right ways and one of the things that makes me even more happy about it is that this donovan mitchell trade is probably the the most blockbustery trade out of this team like everything seems to be built so organically and not done in this whole like nba draft deadline showy kind of fucking way where there's a four team trade and it's bringing in a superstar kind of thing like i know we got jared allen stuff like that via trades but it that trade was not the Durant going to the Warriors situation. Like it didn't have that kind of like headlines in the media. So right. the fact that they're building this team so organically, getting two stars in Mobley and Garland through the draft. I mean, who knows? Mobley's brother might end up being fucking awesome too. So well, he's to not. Do don't it, worry about it. He's he's taken yeah, up. Yeah. We need we need someone to hold that seat down. Make sure it doesn't go anywhere on the bench. Yeah, and like so the um. You know, just the fact that they built this team this way, it's just the most it's just like one of the most Cleveland ways to to do something just like hard work through a draft and build and get better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, you know, they even found guys like uh, Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade who were, you know, they were just free agent pickups. And Dean Wade now like signed like a four year deal because like he right. just he fits he fits. He obviously fits the personality and the attitude in the locker room. But like, man, he's got a good game. As it turns out, like he's got a very complimentary game to what they want to do. So, like, yeah, you know, in years past, how hard was it to find bench players that were good? Even when LeBron was here, how hard was it to find those like seventh, eighth guys off the bench that could that could that fit into the scheme? Like, it was impossible. Yeah, we didn't have like any depth that felt like back then. It's either we were like so top heavy, and this yep. team is a more full, complete team. Yep, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited again. It's not just this year. It's not like we, we traded for a guy who's got like one year left in his deal. We have a couple of seasons to see what this could potentially look like. And, you know, and don't don't count out like in seasons going forward, maybe there's another move to bring in someone else. I don't not like really sure what you do with like another offensive player, but I, I might figure it out. I mean, who knows? Right. As, as long as they don't give up Mobley, Jared Allen, Mitchell or Garland, like I'm interested to see what they could bring in here. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's move into the big ones. Our five-minute topics. Um, where are you? Where are you going with this one? I'm, I'm very curious. Oh, I'm going with college football on this one. Excellent, excellent. All right, let's uh, lay it out there. Let's do it. All right, dude. So for the five-minute topic, and I don't know about you, but I am fucking loving the shit out of college football this year. I really am. Like the whole just pretty much everything about like what we got going on here and stuff. Like I'm going to get into some specifics, but just know that I think that this is like one of the better college football seasons that we have had in a, in a while. Like I, I know we had the pandemic a couple years ago, which definitely put a damper on things, but in general, it, this seems like college football is just going in such a great direction, like as if it really wasn't going in a great direction before, but like, I think it's going in an even better direction now. I mean, I'll start off by saying that this 
so this kind of like rise of Tennessee football and everything. I know that they've been clinging on to becoming relevant again for like the last couple of years, but this victory over Alabama, all those festivities, the fucking fans carrying the goalposts throughout the, the city and stuff like that. This was just an awesome victory. Like what the sport is about right then and there, like to see all that kind of celebrations and stuff. And not to mention for me being a guy who uh, doesn't mind seeing Nick Saban lose every once in a while, it's great to have another sec team topple alabama and then turn out to be ranked number one in the college football playoff will that hold we'll see they play georgia this upcoming weekend another great number one and two match for uh, for the college football landscape to focus in on but having this just having somebody not alabama be in the discussion is just really making me happy. Like in terms of the sec, when it comes to the big 10, Ohio state is firing on like all cylinders right now. I mean, like I was kind of watching the Penn state game, just being like, okay, like when, when have you done making them look good? You know, just, and then at one point in time, they flipped the switch and scored three or four touchdowns in a quarter and stuff. I, I went running like as soon as a uh, Penn state fumbled the ball or like through the, the Clifford threw a fumble or something like that, that got recovered and or dropped the ball, um, which got recovered. And I was like, okay, this is pretty much my sign to go running. Now. I think that Ohio state might do something. Jess had texted me um, 20 minutes later and was like, Ohio state scored three touchdowns. So they're firing on all cylinders. There's a little bit of Ohio state hate out there, but like a lot of analysts and everything like that are not, there's no like um, strength of schedule questions coming from even like PAC 12 people that mm-hmm. I listen to out mm-hmm. here. Like they are straight up saying that like Ohio state is good. The defense, the re- issues that they had on defense for the last couple of years have been repaired. So th- they're firing on all cylinders, which is fantastic. Michigan and their rise to, to relevance again, another great storyline for this year. And like, I know that they were good last year and, you know, Michigan, they've had some success under Harbaugh, but like for the potential of an undefeated Ohio state team playing an undefeated Michigan team here in a couple weeks is great. This is exactly what the rivalry is all about. I'm not going to be one to say that the rivalry is back on blah, 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 blah. Cause Michigan's only won two games or three games in the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> But like, I will say that like, it's great to have that game mean something again, like, and to mean a trip to the Big Ten championship and possibly a trip to the college football playoff. That's what the game is supposed to mean. And what we're going to see here in a couple weeks is going to be the best meeting of these two since they were the number one and two ranked team, like in 2006, 2007, whenever that was. So that is another thing to get excited about college football, the rise of the PAC 12 or not the rise, but the trending upwards of the PAC 12 that we've had this year with five teams ranked in the top 25. And even in the top, even in the CFP, um, rankings. There are five PAC 12 teams. This is an infinite step in the right direction from last year and the previous year where there was like uh, two teams out of an entire conference ranked in the top 25. So like to have more numbers up there, a strong UCLA coming out of nowhere to do what they're doing is fantastic. It just looks great for the conference. It looks really good as far as this upcoming um transition with UCLA and USC to the big 10. I think it looks fantastic. Like this is easily the best year that the PAC 12 has had in college football in a long time, maybe since Washington got into the playoffs in the 2000. 
16 playoffs, I think they got in. So they're having a great year. Another thing that makes me very, very happy about this year of college football is that the Quinn Ewers experiment in Texas has just gone not the way that they expected it to. I know that he's been hurt. I know one of their losses was to Alabama, but currently Texas is a three-loss team and nowhere near the college football playoff. It just makes me happy to see Quinn Ewers not do so well. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a Quinn Ewers guy. So with all of this stuff, it just really feels like like college football is just kicking it again. And I, and we've had good games. We've had good teams. We've had this for a long time, but there's just something about this year that I am really, really enjoying. So hopefully everybody out there that is watching college football regularly, like hopefully you're enjoying this as much as I am, because this has been a fantastic year and the next couple of weeks are going to be just so entertaining on so many ways. There's so many big games coming up. And then after that, we have championship week and then the playoffs, the the freaking bowl games. This has been a phenomenal year for college football. I am in general agreement with you that this year is it is it is great when it is great when when coast to coast you have you have a setup for some maybe not even necessarily rivalry games, but you have a setup for important games. I, every year in the SEC, there's like an important late season game. Like, I mean, that's every single year, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, someone is sort of involved in a, in a big, you know, having a big season, LSU, someone's having a big season and it means a lot to, you know, there's going to be a late season matchup that means a lot, but we have that in the SEC. We have that potentially in the ACC with uh, Clemson and Mm -hmm. Syracuse. Um, We have that, as you mentioned, like all signs are pointing to Ohio State and Michigan, both being undefeated uh, going into the game. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then you're right, like sort of the, the rise of the Pac-12. They're not, they're not there yet, but there is definitely going to be, um, you're, I, you know, there's a possibility for a Pac-12 team to potentially be represented in the college football playoff if things fall the right way, but more than right. more than likely there's going to be like two SEC teams in there somehow. Um, but which, whatever, it's how it happens every year, right? But right <laughs> Like make having every, basically having every single conference, every single con- conference of consequence have the potential for like a big showdown late in the year. Not even necessarily the championship games, but like a late you know a late November, mid November game that means something in the in the Big Twelve is important. A mid November game, late November game, the big in the Big Ten meaning something is important. And like that is coast to coast, conference to conference. Those are setting up pretty much everywhere, which is something we haven't had in a long time. And it's, it is nice to have one of those teams like Tennessee who hasn't been relevant in fricking, I don't know, 15, 16 years. Um, first time, first time they've been ranked number one since the first BCS bowl game. Uh, and that right. was 24 years ago or whatever. So it, it is, it is sort of, um, it is nice to have a, t- a team like Tennessee kind of, I'm not going to say like they kind of introduce chaos, but sort of like just, Here's here is a here's something here's an out of nowhere kind of storyline for everyone to follow. We know we we have like a you know a once upon a time a traditional power is kind of returned to prominence, and mm-hmm. it is it is great that this stuff is happening everywhere. Um, we there still needs to be more. Like if you really want college football to get back to the level it was, you know, in in years past, what Texas needs to fucking get its head out of its ass. And figure right. out like what the fuck it's doing, 
Um, we've talked about it before. I think we, we both agree. They're maybe the most overrated power program of all time. But, of course. But when they are good, you know, when you have like a Vince Young or a Colt McCoy and, you know, and, and all the players that were you know during that run of Mac Brown's tenure, um, when you have all those Ricky Williams, for that matter, when you have those like superstar college players leading those squads, it's a different, it is a whole different sort of, there's a whole different importance um, you know, for, for, for whenever Texas shows up on the schedule for like, what used to be the big 12 or big, t- or big eight and then big 12, but obviously now I'm um, going to be the sec going forward. I think in what, two years, year and a half, something like that. Um, two years. Um, yep. You know, like it is, you know, you get that part of the country involved and you know, it's, it's just, it's just better when we have more of these big schools. You know, we always talk about parody, it's not like we need. It's not like we need like fucking I don't know Nevada and Rice to become good right. at football. Like I don't give a shit. But we need like you need like twenty five. You need like twenty five programs. You know, let's say the top twenty five of those top twenty five. Fifteen need to be really good, and it'd be really mm-hmm. great if they were spread out a little bit more coast to coast, as opposed to just yeah. being clustered in the Big Twelve or excuse me, the SEC and the Big Ten, basically. So. Yeah, you're right. Like we are, we are having one of the best seasons we've had in a long time, and it's because of that sort of, um, let's call it the Power Five parody, is kind of the best it's been in, in quite a long time. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, this has been fucking enjoyable as hell, and it may not happen during Ewers' tenure. Maybe when Arch Manning comes down there, um, that Texas really becomes like a, a force to be reckoned with. But who knows? I mean, between yours and Bijan, like you, Bijan, you never know like what the hell is going on. Those are two five-star athletes, and Texas almost beat Alabama and looked in control for like a lot mm-hmm. of that game. So, you know, they may be on the cusp of doing something important next year, and that is just going to be fantastic for the game to get that area to get Texas specifically represented in college football in a in a prominent way is going to do such wonders for the game i, I tell it, it really will be and like to have like to have them in like a top 10 discussion and everything like that amongst like some of the other teams that are in that direction it's just great dude it really is and i hope to god that arch manning maybe brings them some success and loses a uh, bowl game to a pac-12 team so that's uh that's my one and only wish <laughs> gotcha gotcha yeah it you know, it would be really nice if, along with Texas, if uh, Texas A&M and the millions and millions they spent on NIL money actually made a difference in their uh, oh, right. in their season. So you had at least at least going going out with a bang, you know, like kind of as as Texas moves with A&M over to the SEC, at least kind of have like one last um, one last hurrah for like a obviously A&M not in the Big Twelve anymore, but kind of give the Big Twelve one last hurrah with like two good Texas teams. At the same time, before yeah. they're both gone out of the conference. Yeah, and that is a whole thing with what's going on in, in Texas A&M that um, I'm pretty sure we'll maybe cover in the next episode. Because, man, what a fucking thing they have going on down there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> College football, man. It is It is a – yeah, if, if you don't have any particular rooting interest, this is probably even more of a fun season. Um, if you're right. not real, real tied in with the fan base. Uh, but you're absolutely right, man. Absolutely right. All right, uh, I'm going to bring mine back to the Browns, and I I got to talk about Deshaun Watson, and I, I'll get into the Deshaun Watson the 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 obviously the sexual assault stuff a little bit, but 
I just think that Deshaun Watson is going to backfire in every single possible way. And I so I say this because this is obviously, we've, we've had this discussion before, this is maybe the ultimate version of separating the art from the artist. Um, yeah. You know, we talk about like, we talk about like watching Kevin Spacey movies or watching Harvey Weinstein movies, which it's almost hard to not watch a Harvey Weinstein movie. Like he's... The Weinstein Company is involved in a lot of movies. Um, so we always talk about that that version of separating the art from the artist. And now we have, like, the sports version of it. Like, can you cheer on the Browns while not cheering for Deshaun Watson? Um, it's obvious, you know, legally speaking, he hasn't been found guilty of anything. But clearly Deshaun was involved in a lot of unsavory things. And I don't think there's... There's no one would deny that. That there's, like... He put himself in positions to be you. If you're putting yourself in that position that many times to be accused of sexual assault, you know where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, right. Just it just you know the Harris County um, grand jury just didn't think there was enough evidence to go ahead and, and and you know recommend charges being brought against him, which is different from him being not guilty of everything. But anyway, won't, we won't go back and, and relitigate that. That's already in the past. So. So this sort of issue is, here's one, I'll get into one of the ways it's going to backfire. There's more here, but one of the ways this is already already backfiring and he hasn't even been on the field. The league, the NFL and the owners hate the Haslams for how they got yeah. Deshaun Watson. Um, yep. it, it's not the draft picks. It's how they so willfully blew up the contract structure um, that's kind of been in place for... It's certainly since the last bargaining agreement um, in terms of like literally in place, how the how salaries are structured, you know, rookie scale, wage scale, veteran wage scale, that kind of stuff. But like for much longer, um, there's been a sort of a, I don't, I don't know, like not a, not a secretive sort of code, but like just a general sort of like the, the owners, the owners definitely check themselves on spending, basically. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which is collusion. I mean, it's 100% collusion. And the Browns stepped out of that sort of um, kind of general handshake agreement, if you will, amongst owners to not blow up salary scales. And they did it anyway to get to Sean. They, they fully guaranteed contract. Never, never happened before in the history of the NFL until now. Um, and right. so, like, there's, there's this idea that, like, the – and this is probably true – that the, the owners are kind of like, all right, this is a one-time thing. We're not going to give Lamar Jackson $250 million guaranteed. We're not going to give any whoever the next quarterback is. They're not getting that kind of money. It's just not going to happen. The Browns, the Browns did their fucking thing. Ignore them. They're the outliers. So the NFL, the league already hates the Haslams and hates the Browns. Mm -hmm. To go back to um, sort of Deshaun Watson's, um, his the creepiness of his character. And I, I will say this, I think something is wrong with Deshaun Watson beyond the usual sort of, um, male athlete entitlement that we're kind of familiar with, with a lot of these superstar yeah. type players. Like, I think there is something wrong with him and I'm willing to bet that his court ordered psych sessions are fascinating. I would like yeah. <laughs> to be a fly on the wall in that fucking room would be very interesting. 
And I really mm-hmm. do hope that he does get help for whatever the fuck, whatever compulsion he has, because it's clearly a compulsion. You don't get accused this many times without it being a compulsion. I hope he gets help for it, legitimately. Um, like mental, mental mental illness is serious, and it takes it takes more forms than depression. Like this right. sort of sexual aggression is clearly a mental illness. So I, I do hope he gets help for that. But sort of the way that the Browns fans have had to tap dance around Deshaun Watson is something that, again, has already backfired before he's been in the field. We have an extraordinarily split fan base that are that are kind of hostile to each other. You know, people, mm-hmm. there are the people that hate Deshaun Watson. There are the people that don't give a fuck, basically like, fuck those women, Deshaun, let's fucking do it. There's people that kind of don't care, period. And there's people that like, there are people that are, are sort of, kind of like me, trying to do my best to separate the art from the artist and do my best to kind of find the silver lining in a really shitty situation. And, you know, like, I think I've told you, I think I know I've mentioned before on the show that, like, in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm never going to cheer for Deshaun Watson, but, like, Nick Chubb deserves to win a Super Bowl. Miles Garrett deserves to win a Super Bowl. All these fucking, all, all of us that have been tortured for the past fucking, I don't know, our entire existence, we deserve a Super Bowl. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, that's that's how I'm kind of... I'm kind of getting into it. But like even like the casual fans who used to kind of like feel sorry for the Browns hate us now. Everyone hates us. Yeah. Like and it's and it is by extension Browns fans. It's not just the team, it's Browns. Everyone hates us because of what because of how gleefully we brought in Deshaun Watson and welcomed him in. So it's mm-hmm. it's backfiring in that regard. I'm not even to the on the field stuff yet. Chuma, we gave up a shit ton of draft capital for him. Like so if we wanted right. to there was rumors that we were actually going to go out and try to get Bradley Chubb, Nick, Nick Chubb's cousin, uh, and, a, and right. a very good defensive end. Well, guess what? We don't have any fucking draft picks to trade for him. So there was nothing we could do. And we give up all that draft capital, and it's for someone who, by the time he gets on the field, will have gone two years without playing football. What in the yep. world does that even look like? I I can't fathom it. Like, it's not like it's... um. It's not like it's a kicker that missed two years of football, like that, because that <laughs> that happens. Like you'll have, you know, you'll have those fringe kickers yeah. that bounce in and mm-hmm. out of the league all the time, and they'll miss a couple of years, come back, kick for five or six games, whatever. Have you ever heard of a quarterback doing that before? Because I sure as hell have. No, no, never, no. So, it, so there's that part of it. So who the fuck knows what's even what the team's even going to look like if if they don't win a Super Bowl in the next couple of seasons. I can't imagine that like Deshaun's going to spend 10 years here and we have like a big open window with like 10 or 10, like six or seven deep playoff runs. If he doesn't win a Super Bowl in like the first couple of seasons here, he'll be moved somewhere else. We'll have nothing to show for it except for like this just continued perception that the Browns, the Haslam's have no idea what they're doing. Right. That's exactly fucking right. If he does not win, they will trade him out as soon as humanly possible. We'll be making payments on that deal for God knows how long and stuff. We'll probably end up paying you, giving him money for like the rest of his life. And uh, yeah, we're going to look like a bunch of fucking assholes, even more so than we already goddamn do. You're right, dude. The owners hate us. The Haslam's did a like basically an unspeakable thing in terms of like owner rules and etiquette and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you're right. There are going to be people out there that have been producing and have been producing at this high level for a while that are going to demand that kind of money that aren't going to get it. And they're going to see a guy who was paid 
$200 million, over $200 million. $246 during million. $246 million while having a flood of sexual assault accusations, misconduct accusations, lawsuits, all that stuff. And like, if I was Lamar Jackson, I'd be like, fuck yeah, pay me that goddamn money. You see what I'm doing for you out there. And he, and like, there are people out there that could argue Lamar has did more for the Ravens than Deshaun did for the Texans. So like he won an MVP. (laughs) Like he's yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) If I'm Lamar, I'm like, you better give me this kind of money. How, how, why in the fuck does he have this kind of money? Right, dude. It's like that's it's really unfair for pretty much every other player in the league who doesn't come with that kind of baggage and that's going out there and performing and not getting paid. It's it's ridiculously unfair. And this like court of public opinion that we are in is we do not look good. There's just no way to there's no positive ways nope. or no nothing mm-hmm. positive to take out of this. And like it doesn't get any better when you have, um, oh, what is it? You see photographs of people in the Muni lot with um, mannequins or dummies on massage tables and signs and stuff like that. Fucking and terrible. People wearing, yeah, people who have, there's this couple who had a jersey that said uh, happy and ending or something, like the names on mm-hmm. the back of their jerseys. Like, this doesn't look good. Like, do these people like, like what the hell do they think they're looking cool here? Like, this is a fucking embarrassment mm-hmm. for the team, the city, like everybody who's on there, everybody like it's just embarrassing all around. There's nobody here to, to, to root for, to, to be happy with. Like the only, like you're d- definitely not happy with Deshaun Watson. Anybody who says that they are needs to get their fucking head examined. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not happy with Stefanski in all of this. Like I feel that um, he has addressed this situation in his cardboard cutout emotionless way oh, that yeah. you, like is yeah. bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, Hey dude, at least like speak from your, your fucking heart or something like that. Instead, he's just like reading these pre-made comments over and over and over again. It's it's like frustrating to listen to. It's the same thing with the Haslam's Re- rehearsing this stupid script over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, well, you know, we met Deshaun. We think he's a nice guy and we're going to let the law play out and all this other stuff. But like, are you meaning to fucking tell me that you look at this guy and you see he's innocent? Oh, well, you know, we met him and we're just going to let the law figure itself out. Like those aren't any kind of answers and stuff here. And not to mention like the Haslam's and their pilot flying J scam and like mm-hmm. the fact that they look like fucking assholes and the fact that they clearly have no goddamn idea what the hell they're going to do this wannabe fucking Jerry Jones. Just go back to managing gas stations. Okay. This seems to be your forte. <laughs> Make donations to your brother who I can't remember is still the governor of Tennessee or not, but this is have parties for JD Vance do whatever the fuck you are going to do. That's not owning a football team. And like, I'll tell you, like, you know, I don't even I'm not even happy with the judge, the, per- the judge who decided this case took forever to fucking decide this case took so goddamn long to read what less than 10 pages of legal documents stringing the fucking public along. The, the lawyers are fucking assholes. The only people that deserve any kind of um, any but the only people in this entire equation, in this cast a very, very large net that deserves any kind of sympathy or empathy are the victims and the players on that team that are not Deshaun Watson. Yep. That's it. But every pretty much everybody else, like I am legitimately frustrated with. And like I work in the legal field, so it is 
sort of in my nature to get pissed off at judges and stuff like that. Every, everybody does. And they give us a many, many reasons to do so. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I have had to devote energy to learning about another judge that's involved in a football dispute has been sort of frustrating. I never need to learn that kind of, um, to learn that kind of information. Same thing with the, I should not know who these lawyers are. I should not have heard these lawyers speak, but I have, and it's frustrating. And there's just nobody for me to be happy with here. And uh, it really like, I tell for the longest time when, even when the Browns were losing, there's, there's kind of this like, you know, oh, they're they're losers. We should feel bad for them. Just nothing's gone right for them. This mm -hmm. organization, but like people were like legitimately feeling like sympathy for the Browns. Now, like you're right, everybody fucking hates us, and they have good reason to do so. Like if somebody was mad at the Browns, I would understand, and I would say you have every right to be mad. I wouldn't even begin to try to talk them out of it because they're yeah. right, and this is the situation that we're going to be stuck dealing with. And I, you know, a super like watching Nick Chubb, watching Miles Garrett hold the Lombardi trophy over their head and smiling and everything, even the image of it slightly brings a cry ball to my throat and stuff like that. But the image of Deshaun Watson doing that awful, like just, it, it just doesn't even sit right with me. You know, if, it's if like, they, it's, if they win, if if they win a Super Bowl, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you on social media, you're not going to see a lot of Deshaun with the trophy. You'll see a no, lot of Nick, a lot of a lot of Nick and and Miles. You'll see a lot of uh, like Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, mm -hmm. the you know the the longer tenured guys. Um, you know Denzel, <clears throat> excuse me, Denzel, the Clevelander, the Nordonia kid. With the, that's what you'll see on the social media. You won't see Deshaun. Yeah, dude, and like you're a hundred percent right on that. And there's already we're already seeing like evidence of this to a certain degree because the Browns have no Sunday night games. Like I'm pretty much convinced that if they was able, if they were able to take away their Monday and Thursday, if those weren't like contractually obligated in some way, they probably would have, you probably. know, like taken away their, their Monday night and Thursday night and buried the Browns at 10 o'clock in the morning, West coast time football for the entire duration of this season. Like, mm -hmm. and this is roster has got so much talent. There's great likable, lovable personalities. On oh, yeah. us. Like whether you think Nick, like I, I, Nick Chubb may not say that much, but I fucking love him for it. Miles Garrett, like what I would give to like, talk about dinosaurs with that dude. Like there are great, awesome personalities on here that aren't going to get their fair share of exposure because of this fucking guy and stuff, you know, and who knows how long this whole thing is going to continue. Like if the Browns come out and they're good, are they going to get more than one Sunday night game with Deshaun Watson as their quarterback? I don't know about that. I'd probably say one, but you're not getting multiples and you for same thing with the four o'clock games. Like, are they really going to up their exposure? If he turns out to be good, they shouldn't at all. And like, um, it sucks to be, it sucks to be a fan of something and, 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 and rooted for something so long and to be put into this position where it's just like, yeah, you know, we kind of deserve to get fucking shit on all the time. And, and I, I hate, I even hate saying that, but like, you know, it's, it's hard to separate the, the art from the artist. And like, it, it's even sometimes hard to separate the players from the team when you're speaking like in general, like mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think Miles Chubb or Nick, 
Chubb deserves any bad shit to happen to them whatsoever. But when I say the Browns collectively, like, yeah, we deserve to not be on prime time and then to not have Monday night football games. We deserve that shit. Yep. Yep. And at the most, the most high profile position on the field, if he's not, right. he's not a defensive back or a defensive tackle or a guard or something. It the most high profile position on the field. So whatever, you know, whatever you think about him, you think about the team. That's just just how it goes, um, and how yeah. how it will always go. Um, again, like I guess I, I guess in my head I'm like, you, you know what? Make the best out of a bad situation. Then just go fucking win. Everyone's pissed at you anyway. Go fucking win games. Like it, you, if we're gonna be in this, if we're gonna be in this situation, we're gonna be in this fucking hole. Then go win, and at least make it worth it on that front. I I'll I'll, I'll be able to. You know what? They win a Super Bowl. I'll take a long hot shower afterwards. And be able to at least feel like I got some of the scum off. Right. That's right. And But the way things are going right now, like, it looks like we're going to be wearing that um, that scummy suit for a long fucking time here. You mm-hmm. know, because we're I, – I don't think we're going to – I could be wrong. I don't think we're going to make the playoffs this year. And Not this year. There's no real guarantee that we're going to make it next year. We don't even know if Deshaun's going to be good. Like, he may come out there and look like a total fucking rust bucket – and um and be awful he might step on the field and get fucking hurt we do not know and like the way that this situation is going to backfire on us because this is definitely one of those karma good what goes around comes around good vibes return good vibes kind of situation Mm -hmm. like we're going to pay for it in some way how are we going to pay for it and how drastically is that payment or how drastic is that payment going to be god only only the fucking browns it's just it's it's funny like it's funny that people how how diehard people are for the Browns they'll show up to Browns games it's fucking negative ten degrees outside. Meanwhile, as you mentioned before, the most well run team in the entire city for the past decade can't get people to fucking can't get people to show up and take thirteen dollar tickets to to games right. I know. Yeah, you'll have the fans showing up in Happy Endings jerseys, but not going to Indians games. Like, they'll wear Happy Endings jerseys in public to a to a sporting event, but the Guardians can't fill the stadium regularly. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It's fucking nuts. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I think that uh, that about wraps it up. Do you have any, any final thoughts here? I do not. I'm glad we got that off because, like, man, I had some things to say about that. And, like, that – that could have went on for a much longer period of time of angrily ranting. So I'm glad we're cutting it off here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> there's just so think much happy thoughts. Think Cavs. Think Donovan Mitchell. I, I legitimately like, I, cause I need to get some, I, I go through these like phases where like I buy like workout clothes kind of at the same time. So they kind yeah. of, they kind of wear out at the same time. And I'm right. I'm in a phase where like, I need some like new shorts. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if I necessarily want to make like a pair of probably more than likely like $45 or $50 cab shorts, my workout shorts, but man, those black ones look fucking mean as fuck. They look so good. Yeah. I'm telling you, wait till black Friday when all that stuff is on sale, you'll get it. You'll get it much cheaper. Believe me, dude. Yeah. Hopefully. You bet. Wear the, sh- wear the shit out of those. Definitely. With and pride. I, and I will say this, I've become a, um, in the summer months. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's, that is when definitely, go for especially like a classic basketball jersey over like a tank top or something like yeah that's when to fuck it like I, I that's the one thing i always hate about i hate about nba jerseys they're not they're not like flattering to wear all the time even especially if you're like a bigger dude or you're like real skinny or something yep. 
they just mm-hmm. they fucking hang on you like they look weird and like they yeah. just don't fit but like summertime sun's out guns out it's just like a it's just a tank top basically go for it yeah that's easy. you make such a good point on there because like when i wear an nba jersey it's like all shoulder and area above my nipples like it's just like <laughs> i never thought that my the area above from my neckline to the top of my nipples. I didn't know that area got was as big as it is, but it sure as hell shows it off in a basketball jersey. That's for sure. I, I think that's, I think that is not, I think I know that's part of the, that's part of the reason why teams had sleeve jerseys for like a mm-hmm. long period of time, because like, well shit, if we could sell more of these to people, like if people will wear these more often than just to a basketball game, we could sell more of them. Let's put some sleeves on. Right. Yeah, I I have one of those Cavs sleeve jerseys. I, I haven't worn it in a while because I I bought a size too big. Like I wanted one of those jerseys so bad, I bought an XL and it like just looks a little bit big on me. But I fucking the, love hit the, the gym, bro. Hit the gym. Fit, squeeze into that <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, I know, man. I'm going to put on about 60 more pounds of all muscle, and I can wear that jersey twice a year. There you go. Pride. There you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, then uh, you want to lead us out of here. I will for sure. Everybody out there, thank you so much for tuning into the first episode of November Sports Month. This is for the Occasionalists. This is Adam Chemelewski and Matthew Pagel wishing you the best, and we will see you next time. Thank you.